memory or two Where summers lasted longer than, longer than we do When nothing really mattered except for me to be with you But in time we all forgot and we all grew Your melody sounds as sweet Hello, and welcome to the absolutely final episode of Emily and Megan are Fandom Laureates. It's a podcast about fandom, and today we're doing what might be an ultimate fandom for both of us. Yeah. Yike. We're doing yeah. bandom. Specifically, we're doing Fall Out Boy and Panic! the Disco, because it's too much to do more than that. <laughs> Arguably, this is probably my most formative. Like, Lost was very formative to me, but I spent longer in this. Mm-hmm. and have, like, interacted more with fans of this than I have with anyone, like, any other fandom, probably. Yeah, that's fair. I was, like, a fan, but I I think I was doing, like, anime and manga, like, fan, like, that was my, like, intro into fandom stuff. So I was, like, <laughs> doing that, but, like, listening to this music and just being like, hi, I'm a very weird person, how are you? And so yeah. I didn't actually get into, like, the fandom side of this until late high school, early college. So that's where I am. LOL, never yeah. saw any of them live. How are we? <laughs> It's funny because all of our, like, season openers and closers have been, like, big ones for us, like Harry Potter, Glee, Marvel. Like, they're all, like, yeah, big, the big, big, big ones. Big. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I guess this podcast, more than uh, anything else I've ever done, is probably a little bit more, like, anthropological about, like, how I formed as a human mm. and, like, <laughs> what the media I have consumed that I have, like, wanted to think about and talk about even if I'm done with it. Just kind of fascinating. You've yeah. learned so much about us, and you're just going to learn more in this episode. There will be some outings. <laughs> hey. Love you guys. Thanks so much. What's up? It's going to be embarrassing for all of us. Truly. Well, let's just start. We're doing before and after. Megan yeah. is going to focus on before. I'm going to focus uh-huh. on after with a couple of pop-ins from each of us. Yep. So let's go. And also, just a quick note. like I, I, <laughs> We could not fit my chemical romance in here i would do it like i would have done it separately yeah but we ran out of time number one because we're done now and number two like they're up to no good right now so like who knows what they're doing right now yeah their fucking tour is what they better be fine oh my god i will but (laughs) their tickets when they did their like one la show like first of all sold out instantly second of all we're at least $200 a ticket. Excuse me, that's Out- rude. Outrageous. <laughs> Gerard, for that. how could you do this to me? And it was on a Friday. I was like, Emily, if it's in LA and on a weekend, like, I could do that. Like, I could, I could, like, jet set if it's on, like, a Saturday. Like, I could fly in the morning. No, it was a fucking Friday night. Who do they think they are? It was a Friday night, it was $200 a ticket, and it sold out in like an hour. Incredible. Rude. Absolutely so rude. rude. Anyways, so we're going to talk about Follow Boy first. We're going to go somewhat chronologically, except there are a couple things in here that I just didn't feel like tracking over the years, so we're just going to get it all done in one place and move on. Especially the early stuff. The early stuff blends together so Oh yeah, deeply. it's like, I don't know, like it starts in this era, but then like those kind of lead into the same, so it's like whatever. In the early 2000s, he was originally in a band called Arma... Angelus? Angelus? (laughs) I don't know. Question mark. Big old question mark. I'm out of my depth on this one. And this band originally included Tim McGilrath from Rise Against and was basically like a hardcore screamo band? Just kind of? Maybe? The worst. Yeah. And 
Pete was like relatively famous for this, especially like in Chicago where he yeah. lived. And it kind of seemed to have like a rotating door of band members other than Pete, where like it seemed like at any given moment, like who knew who was gonna be on stage with him? Cause like Joe played guitar for them for a while. Andy was either in this or at some point played with them or something. So like, yeah. and then Patrick played drums on the last show because they were like back burnering, like, Follow was cooking on the back burner of the very ends of this. Mm-hmm. They broke up in 2002, and in 2003, Pete dropped out of college and decided to form, like, officially form a band with Joe and Patrick to be named Fallout Boy. There's a confused, like, I have never understood the story because I've heard, like, four different iterations of it where it's yeah. like, oh, this guy from Rise Against, who was in this band, gave us this name. But also, maybe we were asking for band names and someone just yelled it out in the crowd. But also maybe we had the name before and then when we tried to use a different name, someone yelled, fuck that, you're Fallout Boy. And it's like, which one? It yeah. can't be all of them. They're like, we made a list and I don't know, maybe it was on there. We have no idea. And it's like, uh, but okay. what? D- don't understand it and I never will, uh, but we sold you wrong. Patrick is playing guitar in this new band and he decided to join based on like Pete and Joe's like covers as a duo of like Saves the Day songs. Um, Pete had been eyeing Andy Hurley to join as drummer, but Andy was like, I'm busy and this seems dumb. Gotta go. Like, dee dee dee. Yeah, he's like, I'm in a hardcore vegan band. And you're like, ooh, okay. He's like, this is not my vibe. And you're like, all right. The trio played a show at DePaul University, but it was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, they also recorded a three-song demo and booked a two-week tour. And they couldn't really get, like, the drummer, like, a drummer who would, like, commit to doing all the shows, and sometimes people just wouldn't show up, and you're like, okay. And they were basically willing to play anywhere. And for Fall Out Boy, they were intending to go for more of, like, a pop-punk sound, and not, like, the hardcore, like, screaming shit, <laughs> which <laughs> worked out great in my favor, because I too. fucking hate screaming music. Ugh, I was so happy when it phased out of the Fall Out Boy albums. Oh, I don't Christ. mind it. We'll get there. But when the From Under the Cork Tree stuff, I don't mind as much. It's, it's only in there bad. a little bit, and it's, like the dark screaming to my black heart situation that I can like put up with but any more than that and I'm like mm, no but it's also like I'm if you good. listen to it now as an adult you're like wow embarrassing. oh it's cringy as shit I'm like wow no that's embarrassing wow. for sure okay and there's a funny story about that that I will I think I put in the doc we'll get to later and so while they're touring let's uh talk about their van Mm-hmm. Um, it was really shitty <laughs> and like the air didn't work or the air only worked if you did a certain thing or like if you were going up above a certain like mile per hour. Love that. <laughs> so it was a very, very uh, bad piece of shit. And on their way to film the Grand Theft Autumn video, they got into an accident while like maybe Joe was driving. Who can say? We don't know. How thrown And them. they did record footage of the band like right after the van crashed and included in one of their like weird docu things either release the bats or like there's one that's called b-sides which i've never seen i think i at one point did have release the bats i don't know why and i don't know where it went and then it was later referenced on the album artwork for from under the cork tree where like there's like the the stage and it has like the van and the snow the audience is the word i was looking for oh okay yeah (laughs) there's the audience and then there's like the open curtains and it's like a van and a trailer and like potentially a precursor to long live the car crash hearts I think it's a reach, but I'm also going to say it. <laughs> you know what with Pete Wentz at the helm? You, who can be who sure? Who can be sure? Who can never be sure? Am I right? They eventually got a manager and they were trying to be signed to drive through records or some shit, but they didn't want them. <laughs> and they eventually got a deal with Fueled by Ramen, which is an offshoot of Island Records. Rob Stevenson from Island Records offered the band a first ever incubator sort of deal where they basically gave them money to like do something. 
They're like, I don't know, make a thing. Here's ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. Go see a Star Wars, and they're like, okay. <laughs> here's ten dollars. Make a make a fucking album, please. Have fun with that. And the band's roles got slightly more defined, but they would go on to be like firmed yeah. up in later years with Pete taking the lyrics and Patrick working on melodies and like yeah. what the songs would actually sound like. Um, but there was more overlap with lyrics in the earlier years than there were yeah. later on. Yeah, it's like Pete, like... Which then cycles back when they... They get back your together. section, when they get back together, because yeah. they're like, hey, this is everybody's band. Like, why are we only doing your yeah. shit? Like, why are we only talking about your problems? Which is funny, because it's like, they, like, Pete and Patrick used to get into fights about it before they defined the roles, and then yeah. they're like, okay, this is what we do. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah. cool. Which okay. I, I think probably really helped them, but like, yeah, then they cycled back, and it's like, mm? Sure. Yeah, there's definitely, they go through um, some ups and downs of that whole sitch. In May of 2003, Take This to Your Grave was released. And in the March before then, they had released their, like, EP situation, which was Fall Out Boy's Evening Out with Your Girlfriend. I can't remember a single song from that, but Take This to Your Grave is good. Take This to Your Grave is good. Fall Out Boy's Evening Out with Your Girlfriend sounds like terrible garage rock. It's bad. Only song I remember is Growing Up because of What a Catch Donnie. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bad song, though, so... <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think... So, the thing about Evening Out With Your Girlfriend, and even Take This To Your Grave, is they talk about how fast they had to record, so there wasn't any time to, like, refine things. It was just, yeah. like, what can we record in two weeks that will sound okay? <laughs> and you're yeah. like, when I know that that's what you're working from, I understand. Well, you know? it's interesting, because I think that Follow Boy's Evening Out With Your Girlfriend sounds more like noise, like, more, like unrefined like we literally recorded it while we were playing in a garage mm-hmm. versus like they take this to your grave still kind of has that like grimy feel mm-hmm. to it but, but it, it is produced it is produced in some way yeah <laughs> so do with that what you want and so they started to get like a bit of a fan base i'm sure that while they were pop punk and not hardcore i think that pete probably still had a following from his earlier years and that kind of bled into maybe being easier for them to get attention mm-hmm. and pete had said that like shows would have near riots and like people would just come on stage and just like hang. it was an issue <laughs> insane um they played at south by southwest and they eventually went on warp tour in 2004 so let's talk about Hey, Chris. On Take This to Your Grave, they have a song called Grenade Jumper with these lyrics, which is like, Hey, Chris, you were our only friend, and I know this is belated. We love you back. And they'll be like, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, like, you know, like, you've always been there, blah, blah, blah. And it was like essentially a fan appreciation song, but Patrick had joked that if they wrote one, it would just be like, Hey, Chris, thanks a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> that friend Chris started going by Hey, Chris and, like, used the Hey, Chris username, and, like, it became kind of, like his name it's just people like clamoring on to yeah they're like i recognize that you are the hey chris the titular hey chris that became like his little thing and i don't want to drag this out and put it chronologically but in 2006 chris and pete have a falling out chris posted his blog about all of his grievances with pete and it's very cringy and dramatic but let me just read you a little smidge after all this time i finally learned the truth that it was you telling my ex-girlfriend lies and secrets despite even giving you the pass card after i caught you trying to talk dirty to her online this is how you repay me you are a spineless fucking sham i regret every second i spent Defending you and your selfish ways. I know you. Not that shitty glammed up poser image you present to the masses to consume. Oh my god. Uh, the dude I knew had heart and fucking loyalty. Well, little buddy, you are fucking done. And you're like, all right. And that's just a very small portion of, of a much longer post. Yeah. For for songwriters, none of these people are really concise. 
<laughs> I mean, hey, yeah, Chris no. isn't a songwriter, but, like, yeah. Pete is a songwriter, and he is not concise. He's never been concise. Half the time, his shit doesn't even make sense. So that True. it doesn't shock me that <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah. So he posts a response on his blog, and he says, oh, what a monster we've created. <laughs> and I'm called by my manager to read a post that is running through the internet. It makes me wonder. I've never responded to rumors. I don't know why he spelled it with it. I don't either. Email. It's very strange. Oh, or shit talking online, no matter who it came from. At the same time, there's nothing that makes my blood boil more than reading this. Being who I am, my first instinct is to blow it off. But then I consider how anytime anything is written on the internet, people believe it's true. No matter what, no matter the biases or subjectivity of the sources. I'm an extremely insecure person. <laughs> Every time I read something about myself, <laughs> negative or positive, I react in probably the exact same way anyone would. However, the attacks about our fans and the people that listen to this music and read these words is completely off base. The fans of this band are my entire life. I've lost my girlfriend, my friends, much of my normal life just to keep this relationship going. This isn't to say that I don't make mistakes, take missteps. Just because you've seen me on TV or at a show doesn't make me anything less or more than human. And he's like, fans are the best. Anyways, you are an asshole. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, cool. Peace out. Bye. <laughs> so that is that. And it's and I think Chris does respond in some way, but like around this time, because it is 2006, Pete and Mikey Way are like BFFs or whatever. More yeah. on that later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and Mikey ends up taking a bunch of photos with Hey Chris that apparently make Pete really mad. Oh yeah, he like he like puts him like crazy like away message where he's like I'm yeah. betrayed. Like it was like and a whole like, thing. Okay. Dramatic. Um, but and okay. supposedly, allegedly, maybe parts of Thanks for the Memories are a reference to Chris, but also oh. maybe that song is a reference to Janae, who we're gonna talk about in a second. Who can never be sure. But Pete and Chris took a photo together back in like 2009, so everything's like fine, I guess. I don't know. And then also, I don't know where to put this, but, and I don't want to track it over the years because it'll be too long, but here's the Pete and Janae thing in summary. I'm also compiling from different sources, and some are more damning than others. Essentially, Pete and Janae meet sometime between 2002 and 2004, when Janae is 15 to 17 <laughs> or something, and Pete was in his early 20s. Question mark. Mm -hmm. There are posts like vehemently insisting that they started dating when she was 17, which is the age of consent in Illinois. It's own separate issue that I won't get into. There are a lot of posts about how they got together earlier when she was like 15 or 16 and he was still in his 20s. I don't know, obviously, it, but it is concerning either way. Imagine being like 23 and dating a 17 year old. Like, imagine mm -hmm. being a relatively famous musician who's 23 and dating a 17 year old. Like, mm, yikes. And so basically they start dating at some point and from under the cork tree is released and like everyone finds out who she is and you're like, oh my God. And she did have a blog and like maybe talk vaguely about their relationship. Oh my God. Yeah. If you're a teenager in the early 2000s, that's what you'd be you blogging. Do. Yeah. You'd um, be blogging on the live journals. In August, 2005, he was arrested for assaulting a police officer who tried to break up a fight between him and Janae, maybe. He maybe busted the windows out of her car, maybe, I don't know. Great. <laughs> uh -huh. Then there was like a year where like everything was fine and like Janae was out at like fall away related to things and it was fine and they got a dog and like it's fine. <laughs> Um, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Then there's a Rolling Stone article in 2007, right before Infinity on High gets released, which I'm also going to talk more about later because this is actually like a fascinating article. Pete was talking about how he's 27 and he had just moved out of his parents' house to live in LA. And he says he basically moved out of his parents' house and got his own place in LA to get away from Janae. Hit, from this article, his sulky teenage muse. Ugh. Yikes. Hate that. He says there was bad blood between us. She's one of the few people who can actually get to me. One day I was just like, I'm leaving and I took a plane, but now they're back together. And he says, she's irresistible, I guess. The best ones are crazy for sure. There are parts of me that are like, yeah, we could get married, but there are parts of me that couldn't spend tonight with her. 
because they were like at an album thing. And then it goes on to be like, Wentz, who has never had trouble attracting female attention, seems enthralled by Janae's relative indifference. She's even unimpressed by the songs he writes about her. And he says, I don't know that she cares about the songs as much as everyone else who listens to them does, but I don't know if I could write them if she cared that much. If you could ever explain yourself to somebody, why would you keep explaining again and again? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, fair enough. You're not wrong. And the article says, he shows me half moon scars on the knuckles of both hands. He's put each of them through windows during fights with her. Ugh. And Pete says, you watch Walk the Line and you don't feel so bad. Everyone's got a bit of crazy spirit in them. I'm not interested in other people. There could be a million girls and it doesn't matter to me. And you're like, okay. I wa you watch Walk the Line. I am Johnny Cash. <laughs> okay. And you're like, I see this one other man also has anger issues. Therefore, I'm fine. And then in April, when Pete is like kind of dating Ashley Simpson, again, more on that later, Janae like took her blog and like, blogged about like the good times with Pete and Follow Boy and stuff. And she says, my heart's been feeling like a bird fighting for freedom with my ribs as its cage or something like the thrill of a roller coaster, only not in the good kind of way. I have experienced a wonderful thing and through all the pain and happiness I have endured, I don't think I'd ever change a thing. I will never forget the way he can make my heart swell. And then like Asher Simpson got pregnant and they got married. And so Janae like kind of like spun out at this point and she was like in the low point but eventually she like gets her life together and is doing fine now yeah what is she doing now <laughs> do we know anything about her i didn't look that far i did see that she at one point was like a hairstylist and like did that kind of stuff i don't know if she still does but i don't know so anyway my issue with this not so much that he's punching windows because i mean there are a lot of articles about him being like he's very charismatic but he has like when he goes into like his black moods like it's a problem like yeah. that's not great. That's his uh, mental health problems coming yeah. to the surface. And you're like, cool. But it concerns me that this girl was 15 to 17. And even if she was 17 when they started dating and he was 24, like, I'm still concerned about that. Yeah. And then he, after that, went on to date, like, Ashley Simpson, who was 21, I think, when they first started dating. And he was, like, mid-20s. Which, like, isn't as bad. And then when he's, like, 30, he started dating that woman, Megan, and who was, like, 22 when he was 32 or some shit. And I'm like, there's a pattern that concerns me. And whether or not it is legal does not make me totally on board with it. Yeah, it doesn't you know make I mean? me feel better when it's legal if the pattern consists right. or persists. And then I was reading some stuff where it was like, he also only signs young people. And I'm like, I don't, I don't conflate those two things. I don't think that's an issue. Like, he's discovering younger people bands and I don't think that's a problem for like that's not an issue for me but I do have a problem with this like pattern of behavior much later Shane Morris who like I guess we're not talking about but there he's is just such a him. mess he's Shane Morris is his own mess in his own right he's a mess and he tweeted about this later saying like oh we're getting on Woody Allen for fucking a 16 year old bad wording are we going to talk about Pete Wentz fucking a 15 year old her name was Janae White why are so many people in the music business protecting this story from coming to the surface you afraid of fallout boy which to me this was kind of an open secret at the time I mean I didn't yeah. realize how young she was but I knew that she was younger than him and when the Rolling Stone is literally putting it in an article like it's not like it's a secret it's just that nobody cared or like nobody said anything or thought it was weird which is like indicative the change between now and then, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. This is a very broken clock situation where, like, he is wrong so much more than he's right. True. Shane, yeah. I mean, this is part of the reason why I don't want to talk about Shane Morris, because, like, Ryan's entire thing later is just, like, a And mess. he, like, lies for attention and, like, yeah. does weird shit. Like, it's, he's his own can of worms. But in this situation, I'm like, mm, I lean more towards his opinion than I'm like, not. He's but not this wrong. Is the one, one time that that's yeah. true. Like, he's not wrong in this moment. 
but yeah, broken, broken clock. clock. Right, twist a day. So now let's pop over to Panic at the Disco for a second. Ryan Ross and Spencer Smith decided to start a band in 2004. They were childhood friends and went to school together. They invited Brent Wilson to join the band, who they, I think, went to school with. And then Brent suggested that Brendan join the band as like the last guitar player and like backup vocalist. Let's get this Mormon kid in here. Rather infamously, Ryan had planned to be the lead singer, but once they heard Brendan singing backup vocals, they were like, oh shit. And this would be like tension. This would cause tension in the band. They began as a Blink-182 cover band. And once they had a couple original songs, I think Ryan sent demos to Pete via live journal, like back when you could do that kind of thing and like have someone listen to them. It's so wild. Like sometimes I just think about it and I'm just like, but how? What? <laughs> like this only works if not only is Pete like willing to listen to demos from live journal, but like he has to be on live journal to find, you know what I mean? So like yeah. he, Pete was deeply online at this time. And yeah, so like was. that, certainly helped yeah. all of this happen. Pete flew from LA where they were currently recording from under the cork tree, more on that in a sec, to Vegas to see them, heard a couple songs during their practice and then signed them to his label, Decay Dance, Decadence. Like, I hate the way this is spelled because it's so weird. Um, I always just say Like, I know what he's trying to do. It's like, it. it's Decadence. I know. But, but it's spelled like shit. Is I Yeah, hate I mean, it's, it's, it reeks of Pete Wentz. <laughs> I hate it. And they were signed as like the first like act for that. Oh like, yeah, I forgot they were the first. Label. They had never even played a live show at this point. <laughs> they didn't really even know like what the shit they were doing. They were just like, here are some demos. I don't know. They posted two of the demos online and people started judging them immediately. And Ryan Ross said, almost right away we knew what was going to happen. We had two songs online and people were already making assumptions on what kind of band we were and what we were going to sound like. And although some people say that the name came from the Smith song Panic, Brendan has said it came from a name taken song with the lyrics, Panic at the Disco, sat back and took it slow. I mean, yeah. it's that literally a, be what it, it is, but everyone's like, it's from the Smiths. And I'm like, I don't understand why we have this common misconception when it's like literally right there, but okay. So Pete started hyping the band up, wearing like Pete at the Disco shirts and like talked in an interview about how like the band's gonna be everyone's new favorite band and like listen to them before your like brother does, your little brother does or some shit. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. He's not wrong, sure. but okay. And then a quick jump over to Fall Out Boy, who in November 2004 went to LA to start recording their second full-length album, Run the Cork Tree, which would be released in May 2005. In the lead up to this album, Pete had a lot of anxiety since Take This to Your Grave had been like moderately successful. And he said, it was overwhelming. I was either totally anxious or totally depressed. It was particularly overwhelming when you're on the cusp of doing something very big and thinking that it will be a big flop. I was racked with self-doubt. And then there's a Kring article from the same year that's, set, that's called The Inside Story, How From Under the Cork Tree Made FOB Emo Kings. They moved into corporate housing, had no friends, and they like lived in very shitty apartments where like Pete and Patrick like shared a room and like Andy and Joe did too. And he said, you'd lie under a blanket and think, this is what it's gonna be like when you're dead. <laughs> uh, it was a God. film that very much inhabited the record with Seven Minutes in Heaven even like basically describing a suicide attempt that Pete made in a Best Buy parking lot, which is like kind of infamous in like follow-up history at this yeah. point. Everybody knows about it. In the production of this album, they were trying to get Neil Avron to produce it, but he was a bit of a heavy hitter and he was like, I don't know you. <laughs> and they sent in demos for the new album, which he was like, these are bad, I don't want this. And then they basically scrapped all of those songs, wrote a bunch of new ones and sent another demo. This time it had Sugar We're Going Down and Dance Dance on it. And Neil was like, yeah, actually, like, I'm good with this. Which, you know what? He has good taste. And so, like, Rob from Island Records had said, like, hey, Neil, like, these, this has your smashes on it. Like, get ready to produce them because these demos are good. And Neil was like, I don't know if they're going to be huge smashes, but they sound like great songs to me. 
<laughs> so that all worked out. Yay. Pete and Patrick had a big fight over Sugar We're Going Down. Patrick wanted to completely redo the chorus, and Pete was like trying to record them trying to make the album and, and like put a camera in Patrick's face, and Patrick just like punched it. And he was like, Fuck it. <laughs> But also, the funny thing is that the label also wanted them to completely redo the chorus in terms of lyrics. I think Patrick was probably more melody wise, mm -hmm. but the, the label was like, Yeah, these this is too wordy. Like, could you um, change it? And they fought back really hard and ended up winning, which is good because Sugar were going down. It's like, no big deal. And so here's what Neil said about like the working on Sugar were going down. I can tell you there was always tension on every record at some point because he's worked on a couple of their albums at this point. Typically that would come in the form of Pete writing the lyrics, Patrick editing and putting them together. If Patrick sang it with Pete's general approval of like, yeah, I'm down with these lyrics. Then after we worked really hard doing all the performances and getting it just right, Pete would come in and say, you know, I want to change this line and this line and this line. And Patrick would really blow a gasket because he worked so hard in the performance and the harmonies. His harmonies are very intricate and take a lot of time to develop. So he wasn't happy redoing things like that. That tracks, <laughs> I mm -hmm. mean, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Can understand why you'd be a little miffed about that. Yeah. The first track on the album, they wanted to call it, my name is David Ruffin and these are the temptations. And Pete said, our label said, you're going to get sued for doing that. And our lawyer said, you're definitely going to get sued for doing that, which totally sucks. So we said, okay, why don't we immortalize you in a song? And so they retitled the song. Our lawyers made us change the name of the song so we wouldn't get sued, which is <laughs> is so good. Very indicative, not only of their song naming thing, um, but is also just very funny. Friend of the Cork Tree has pretty positive reviews and Sugar We're Going Down kicked them off into like major success. It hit number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. And then not long after they released Dance Dance, which would go on to hit number nine. It was a really successful album, had a lot of good singles that really did well. Mm -hmm. Toured and like really hit their stride in this era. It was listed as number at number nine for Rolling Stone's 40 Best Emo Albums, <laughs> which is what incredible. Are, like, random at like specific we're just so specific let's go and in that it said it changed the course of emo punk pop punk and pop itself which brought the scene mainstream which i guess is kind of true to a degree i think and not to mention that they're also riding a wave here like they're not yeah. the first it's just that everyone is coming up at or at and around this same time with other like people following close behind. So it's like a yeah. whole wave situation of like, this is the trend. Yeah, exactly. So back to Panic, they spent a couple weeks in Maryland working on and recording their first album. And they were staying in a one bedroom apartment with two bunk beds. They were absolutely miserable, if I had to guess. Ryan, again, wrote most of the lyrics. This is a very similar situation. You can tell from all the damn Chuck Palahniuk references and mentions of shitty dads. Like, yeah, he's it. just like jerking off to Chuck Palahniuk as a teenager. <laughs> like, goddamn. Like, I get it. I did it too. But like, Relax. Their first album, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, was released on September 27th, 2005. Sold almost 10,000 copies in its first week, and it's basically split into two halves. It starts very electronic and then like goes into like what I can only describe as like more old timey vibes of mm -hmm. like jazzy situation. Yeah. A couple months later, they released their video for I Write Since Not Tragedies, and the fucking rest is history. Like that shit blows up. Yeah. That single helped the album get up to more than 500,000 copies sold. And by August of the following year, the album had gone platinum and they'd won an MTV VMA for the Sins video. Like that was like, that was it. Okay, question. Cause yeah. I have this crystalline clear in my brain. Do you remember the first time you heard Panic! at the Disco? Cause I know exactly when it was and like the situation that was surrounding it. I don't. 
Okay. I actually don't. I don't remember Fall Out Boy. I think I probably saw a music video on MTV because I'm in almost school, positive sure we're going down videos first thing I saw of them. Yeah, I think so. Because I used to, like, in the mornings during middle school, get ready and watch the MTV VH1, like, music video compilations that would play in the mornings. Mm-hmm. The first time I ever heard Panic, I think it was uh, I Write Sins because I think that was, like, the first hit that they had. Living in Seattle, uh, so it was middle school, obviously. And. My mom and I were driving to my aunt and my uncle's, and it played on the radio, and we had got to, <laughs> got to my aunt and my uncle's house, and we parked, and my mom was like, okay, we need to go in, and I was like, no, but I like the song, and I don't know who it is, and I need to know who it is, <laughs> and she was like, well, we have to go inside, and, like, the DJ didn't say it at the end, because he had said oh, it no. at the beginning, and so I was like, ugh, and my mom was like, okay, well, if you go in, and you go to the station on the radio in your aunt and your uncle's house, then at some point they'll probably play it again because they're probably doing a rotation. So just do it. And I sat in front of their radio. <laughs> I was like, I just... Just I, come in the fucking house, Emily. <laughs> no, I know. So I went into the house and I sat in front of their radio on the floor in their living room, listening to the station, trying, like waiting for them to play the song again so I could figure out who the fuck this band was. And then I was like, okay, I need this album. Thank you. <laughs> like, Incredible. So that's Panic, like both Fall Out Boy and Panic's like, very big rise to stardom here is like very close in the same time yeah like sugar comes first but i write sins isn't that far behind all right so during all of this like at the precipice of all of this you have the warp tour 2005 my comical romance appears for their second and last time they only appeared twice this summer is deemed by the general bandom to be the summer of like quote unquote can i you might not know the answer to this can what? i ask you is this the warp tour that had my Kimmel romance and they used on it or was that no. the first time they went that okay. was the first time they went and i'll talk about it in a second it's very like the summer of like as a phrase is very specific to the relationship that seemed to be growing during warp tour between pete and mikey way from my Kim. photos plus pete's extremely suggestive blog posts made fans believe that the friendship was maybe something more it seems kind of romantic blah 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 whatever mm-hmm. so the origin of the term and its first use is kind of lost to the internet. Like, nobody knows who, like, who done said it. But the year after, in 2006, Pete did an interview in Rolling Stone saying that Bang the Doldrums originally had the working title of Summer of Like, which is wild. <laughs> and you can tell because later, when he did one of his posts, it's literally mm-hmm. lyrics that became lyrics in that song. Which Pete does all the fucking time. He did that with Say Rock and Roll. I can't. Oh, yeah. If you ever read on his blog and then listened to, like, some of their music, you'd be like, wow, I, uh, I am a detective. I am a sleuth. I <laughs> have already read those words. Um, I am incredible. Wow. It is very clearly taken from the idea of, like, the summer of love, which was mm-hmm. 67, the height of hippies, free love and hate, etc. Within fandom, summer of like is an indication of a specific time and place within the band's collective histories. It doesn't always necessarily mean fic or fan works where Pete and Mikey are either the main couple or like whatever it usually does but not always this is a fun fandom thing there's also an element of gerard burt from the use who's the lead singer (laughs) of the use their friendship had already soured by the time the summer of like happened but a lot of fans in the community because the two tours that my chem were on for warped happened so close together it kind of like muddies together because summer of like is 2005 like summer of 2005 but my chem's first warped 
was Winter Warped of 2004. So it's like within six months, very close together. In fact, despite the fact that Bert was at the Summer Warped, the used wasn't playing. He was like playing with Street Drum Corps or some shit. He even was like, hey, don't go see my chem. Like he was like, it was not, the relationship had soured. (laughs) Not good. Here are some choice Pete live journal entries from the Summer of Like that fueled Tin Hatting, which like, honestly, I'm there with you because like, like, what else is this? I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Keep in mind that Warped started June 18th, ended August 15th. It was, like, two months solid. So, July 4th, he said, hot and miserable, but totally in love. <laughs> like, and he's, like, doing, he was also posting about, like, seeing, he's like, I have a new friend. His name is Mikey Way from my chem, and we're seeing, we're, like, watching the sunset, like, literally i'm like what the fuck july 24th he said sometimes when you're feeling blue the right smile can save you in the fall boy journal on july 19th you have what became the lyrics to bang the doldrums which is i'm not gonna read them but like you know some of these lyrics are bad i mean yes and i think that they were like slightly altered but like also not that altered anyway Mm -hmm. but it's the like best friends ex-friends better off as lovers not the other way around Mm -hmm. like that thing he also dedicated a lot of songs during the summer to mikey on stage during the tour what a fucking door he also did a lot of interviews or like things on live journal where he was like mikey and i are a gang of two called the sweet little dudes and he got intense about not being photographed together with mikey on tour by fans which is like wild because pete once never backs away from being photographed but i think it's a mikey thing rather than a pete thing yeah mikey um is very quiet on that side of things because he's like very introverted as like a person and like an online figure the only real thing we have about this comes from a blog post he once did where i assume he was like doing a list of things and he was like five me and pete wentz aren't dating we're both heterosexual males sort of maybe um next i'm like what the fuck is that Okay. And that's summer of like, then the stuff with Hey Chris happened, and then like Pete got mad, and then like, mm-hmm. I don't actually know what their relationship is like now, probably nothing. And Mikey is a mess, so who cares? Stop dating fans. Okay. Uh, young fans, too, when you're married. That's a bad idea. So in March of 2006, Pete's dick pics get leaked. So in this article, this is like almost a year later, and it says he was driving in Chicago when he heard the news and he became so distracted that he ran into the car in front of him. He said, I thought it was the end of the world. I had dreams that it didn't happen, that it was all a joke. And then you wake up and you have that sick feeling in your stomach because it did. And like, he's like, mostly I laugh about it, but like sometimes it's like, what if that hadn't happened? Like, wouldn't it have been, wouldn't have been great to not have that happen? And he thinks like, at the time, people thought, like, he leaked it himself, but he thinks that someone, like, hacked into the backup sidekick, like, website of, like, the data from people's sidekicks, basically. And there were some rumors or, like, some understanding that maybe it was Hey Chris because this is during the time that, like, they were still kind of fighting and there was, like, unresolved stuff going on. So then in May of 2006, over to Panic, Panic at the Disco announced that Brent Wilson would be leaving the band. Brent told MTV News that he'd been kicked out of the band via phone call and Spencer was the only one who talked to him, even though like Brent and Ryan were there on speakerphone, but they didn't speak. And then Spencer wrote in like, wrote an email to MTV News saying that Brent wasn't progressing musically with the band. Then Brent demanded a cut of royalties from the first album and threatened to sue them over it. Though there is, I don't know if it's actually true, there is some fandom belief that like, 
maybe Brent never even played on the album and that Brendan and Ryan like not only wrote the bass lines for all the songs but also Brendan played them because Brendan can play like a bunch of instruments. Yeah he's like a fucking genius. Despite maybe not having even worked on the album at all he demanded money for it because he was like part of the band during that time and it became like a whole sit. So there's a Where Are They Now article about former Panic members and here is what Brent said about leaving the band. I think the reason why they got the perception I wasn't into doing things that the bands that bands do is because I'm a very private person. A lot of times I would be spending time by myself or there would be times when my brother or other family members would come to shows. I'm very close to my family so there would be times where I would be with them rather than hanging out with the band. As far as I'm concerned that's just keeping sanity. And Spencer would later talk about like he was fired because he wasn't involved like he didn't do anything. He was dead yeah. weight basically like we got rid of him. And at this point now it's kind of like one of life's mysteries like Brent isn't doing anything um and he's never really done anything musically after that so like I would believe it if maybe he never did anything in the first place. And he's also like sold some of the like panic stuff that he used to have like on eBay and shit so like Clearly he's not like jonesing for the good old days. Something was afoot, but we'll never know. <laughs> so then they replaced Brent with John Walker, who had been a replacement bassist for 504 Plan, and then toured as a guitar tech and videographer for the Academy is. So like, they knew him because of the Academy is basically. It's weird to me that he's a bassist for 504 Plan, and then he's just like a guitar tech. He's like, I don't know, whatever. Joy Panic when he was 20 years old, making him the oldest member of the band, which is incredible to me. Oh, uh, these boy. tiny teenage boys. <laughs> right? Uh, and he joined them at the MTV VMAs when they won for Sins, despite having nothing to do with it, which is also incredible. I, I love also, that for him. I also, like, do you ever sometimes think about that meme where somebody, like, takes out ugly-ass teenage photo of Brendan Urie, and, <laughs> and they're like, can you imagine this is the person doing the, like, is it me that makes you sweat? <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, so true. Well, then you think about Ryan being the one who wrote that, and you're like, wow, a lot is happening here at this so moment So much going time. on. Teenage boys trying their hardest. So after that, they opened for the Academy Is on a tour, uh, and then they headed out on their first headlining tour that was, like, unnamed. It was like, we're going on a tour. Here's the tour. Yeah. Um, and they went to Myrtle Beach, where is where I saw them for the first time. Look at you. It was, like, kind of my first concert that, like, I was like, I want to go, mom and dad, can we go, please? <laughs> um, and they like went with me, but they went like upstairs and like sat at a table, whereas I was on the floor, which I hate being on the floor now. Um, oh my God, being on the floor is like a nightmare. Seat. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be on the fucking floor. I did that with my first concert, which was Good Charlotte, which we'll never talk about, but it's fine. <laughs> but like... Well, I unfortunately was like general admission for every band I ever saw in high school. So like I was general admission for Panic both times I saw them, for Fall Out Boy when I saw them, for the Academy at Scober Starship. Like I was always on the floor. And this is the time when I was, I didn't really know. I had my ongoing migraine problems to the point where I would get like dehydrated and throw up and like feel like I was going to pass out. So like it was not good for me to be on the floor surrounded by people in like oh my warm God, heat. Megan. So I would basically have to leave the floor like every year, every time. Like every time I went to a show, I was like, I'm going to pass out. I have to like go sit in the back alone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, nobody touched me and then usually I would throw up so they were never a fun experience for me <laughs> <laughs> this one was good though because I was with my parents and like I didn't have that experience so that was cool good for me good for 14 year old me or however old I was they also released a live album slash dvd recording of the show I think it was the Denver show it's, it's live in Denver and that whole recording is on YouTube and I watch it sometimes it's good <laughs> this is the tour where they only had their like what 13 song 
album, yeah. so they had to add some covers into their, like, lineup, and they did a really good cover of Karma Police and Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins, both songs that are incredible, and their covers are good. I won't hear a word against them. <laughs> in August, they performed at the Reading Festival, where people were complete assholes and threw bottles at them while they were playing. I don't, I don't get that. Why do people? One of them throw hit things? Brendan in the head and knocked him unconscious. No, he just got up and finished the show. Oh. It was like I can't watch it because I would die of embarrassment. But that is just like what the fuck there were a couple years where bottling at Reading Festival was like constant. And I'm like, why would you go? Like, why would you go? When you're in constant danger, like, why would you go? And then after this, they started their Nothing Rhymes with Circus tour, full stage, lots of makeup costumes. They did have dancers on their first tour, but it was like three dancers, a somewhat intricate stage, but not too involved in like pretty like tame costumes. Like it's just like a button up and some pants or like whatever, it's like not that crazy. And then Nothing Rhymes with Circus is like full on, like literal circus costumes, face makeup, like Ryan's all in on the eyeliner. Like it's a whole sit. He's so, like, he, uh, Ryan Ross is straight up, sometimes he just looks like an anime character, like a manga character, like. And I'm about he's it. He's so like, pretty. I'm into it. They also play up the stage gay during this tour, which in hindsight is a little bit cringy. <sighs> they have this intro to lying is the only thing a girl can do, or whatever, it's the best thing a girl can do, whatever the fuck. And they do this long intro of, like, you know when you're imagining, like, your true love across a field, and you're, like, running to them because you want to, like, kiss them and it's true love and you're like running this song isn't about that it's about fucking <laughs> and like brendan and ryan would do like very elaborate like ryan like sitting on brendan's like crotch while brendan's laying on the floor like very like too much like I, like they they first of all they knew what they were doing yeah so this is not like they're doing it without realizing that they're setting off no like it fandom it in a tizzy every time which like, is the issue here if you didn't know i would find it less annoying but you're purposefully doing it to get people to talk about the stage gay which is annoying. In my tin hat, I'm like, I mean, there's no way, like, there's no way that yeah. Brendan probably wasn't in love with Ryan, allegedly. So, like, that, and we'll talk about his pansexuality later, because he came out as queer recently. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, that seems mm-hmm. brutal. And is a lot yeah. of fanfic fodder, so. Oh, yes. We'll talk about that <laughs> The later. fandom is aflame at this point with, like, lust and also just, like, fan theories out the fucking wazoo it's just like wow angst wow must be angst oh i just thought about the cabin fanfic <sighs> fuck me so after this um once that tour ended they began working on material for their next album they went to a cabin in nevada <laughs> to begin writing cricket and clover which is their the name of their new album just kidding it's not <laughs> they recorded some of the songs began playing some of them live do you remember the like true love song that they played live that shit yes so bad it's wow, I'm bad. I found a video of it on YouTube and I could not get through the first like 30 seconds. I was it's like, I'm bad. gonna die of embarrassment. Like, it's really bad. Like, it's bad it's and so also bad. nobody knows how to react to it because it's bad. Everyone's like, mm. what's happening? What is this? I remember that came out and I was like, oh no, I don't like this. I mean, after that great, that not great reception, they went back to the drawing board, scrapped every song that they'd written and recorded because they've actually recorded like quite a few songs. Um, and scrapped everything except for Nearly Witches, which is funny because. When Ball Boy wrote from under the cork tree, they scrapped everything they'd written and, and all of the demos they'd recorded because they were bad and started over. So, like, this isn't, like, it never happens. Yeah. It's just, like, don't play any shit live until, like, you're Stop sure. playing it live. Good. They scrapped everything except for Nearly Witches, which would appear on a later album. They went back to their old rehearsal studio where they'd first figured out how to be a band and, like, played their first practices and shit. And they hammered out a new album. 
Ryan said they wrote most of the album with a guitar and one person singing, really looking at songs in their basic form, which explains why this damn thing is so good. Eat me, people who hate this album. Like, Pretty Odd is literally the me. best Panic album. Like, It's so good. Spoiler alert to our rankings at the end of this mm-hmm. episode. It's the best one. Thanks. It's so good. I'll hear nothing against it. And we'll talk about it in a second, but quickly I have to jump over to Fall Out Boy, who are making moves. In January of 2007, Fall Out Boy released Infinity on High, their first studio album. First single is The Same the Scene. It's an arms race. It's a goddamn arms race. Yes. It's like heavily ridiculed and one of those like famous internet memes is that like illustration video of like the misheard lyrics of the yeah. song, which is very funny. It's, it's funny just, like, and this dumb. This is the thing that comes up with Fall Out Boy all the time. It's like people are like, I can't understand him. And the video for this song is very self-referential with scenes of Pete like having his dick pics professionally photographed, <laughs> Patrick singing in front of hip hop producers and like being made fun of. And that was a reference to the summer before this where Jay-Z had invited him to like write a hook and like put him in like a writer's like summit basically where like a bunch of people try to write songs for Jay-Z like together but he got hit with writer's lock and like literally he didn't even sing like he didn't do anything there so like this was like a fictionalized version of that very much being like we get the joke like we're (laughs) we understand is it jay-z that's on thriller on infinity on high okay Mm -hmm. yeah i think this is the album where they wanted kanye west but he couldn't do it and i think they did a remix of this ain't a scene with kanye on it after the album came out because then he finally had time for it the rolling stone article from right before Infinity on High got released that I mentioned earlier has some like choice quotes of this and it says it's Wentz who hangs out with Teen Vogue cover girl types Lindsay Lohan, Ashley Simpson, Michelle Trachtenberg? I don't know how you say it. Michelle Trachtenberg. I'm attracted to creative people and train wrecks and there's no shortage of that in Los (laughs) Angeles. And he they say he hints at some sort of fling with Trachtenberg but insists the other two relationships are platonic which is incredible. Maybe in some in a different universe we'd be a hot couple but not in this one. And then there's like a parenthetical that says Wentz may have his universe is confused at a Grammy party he was filmed walking hand in hand with Simpson. Yeah and then they got married. (laughs) They are dating and she has she gets pregnant and they get married so like clearly this is not an alternate universe. And then Babyface a famous producer who they like asked to produce two songs on Infinity on High said patrick is one of the baddest dudes i've seen in a long time he has a great voice very soulful patrick's very self-deprecating to the point where you find yourself reassuring him of his charm he said i hear all sorts of things slung at us one of my favorites being the boy band accusation i'm like boy band i'm fat if we were a boy band i'd look good i'd dance and i'd be charming so what the fuck are you talking about i write songs that's all i do i love patrick i love him he's like i just love him so much we're gonna talk about it later but like oh god he's just the best 2008 Panic releases a new logo with the exclamation point removed from their name. Big deal. They're serious now. Get excited. They released pretty, period, odd, period, on Mark. Like, what are you What are you doing? Wait, Iconic. I, you I, know, I love it. It's, like, I'm obsessed with it. It's great. No, it's- I love it. It just makes no sense that they took out the exclamation point from their name and they were like, but we have periods in our album title and it's now important that you know that. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like, you um, guys so anyway, are they wild. They released pretty odd on March 21st, 2008. Way mellower, more Beatles-inspired, debuted at number two on Billboard 200 and sold 139,000 copies in the first week. It didn't take off the way that Fever did because it didn't have a single, like, Sins. Nine in the Afternoon was very popular, but it didn't quite hit the same success that Sins had. But it is probably their, like, second most successful single, like, up until, like, last year. (laughs) Up until, like, the songs were, they were like, what if we buy these for commercials? For everything. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Every single thing. Brendan must make so much fucking money. Anyway. Um, to kick off the album, Panic headlined the Honda Civic Tour with most of the soundtrack, Hushdown, and Phantom Planet opening for them. Wild. This is the second time that Hushdown opened for them because they also opened them from their first tour. 
very cute. I also saw them on this tour. The stage design for this show is way more flowery, less costumes, no dancers. They're like just in jeans and like a button up shirt. It's like very much less than all of the other tours have been. Yeah. They again release a DVD and live album from this tour live in Chicago. It's amazing. This is the one where they also release the Polaroids, right? From the tour. I think so, yeah. They like, yeah. They have all the cute Polaroids. At some point during this tour, I think, Ryan is photographed at a party with cocaine on the table and everyone's like, oh my god. This happens a couple Ooh. of times to him throughout Yeah, this his is life. the first time and everyone's like, Ugh. like everyone like freaks the fuck out and you're like, I mean, like this does not shock me, but. No. Well, and okay. then didn't they later say like, oh yeah, we were taking lots of drugs like the Beatles did when we made Pretty Odd? I'm not, I'm not sure if it's Pretty Odd or if the first album they did is like the one that got scrapped is the one that they were like oh, heavily yeah, drug influenced one. and they that's why it's fucking terrible. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> because they say that they went like a little crazy in the cabin and like they ended up like burning one of Ryan's guitars. Like they oh, yeah. really went okay, through yeah. it in the cabin, which I yeah. forgot to go into. But they like really went through it and there's like a whole situation where like everyone's losing their minds. They don't want to be in the cabin together anymore. Like they light one of Ryan's guitars on fire. Like everyone's having a mental breakdown. I think this is probably when they're on drugs and that's why everything like sucks. <laughs> And then they go back and they scrap everything, they start again. And then while they're making what would eventually become Pretty Odd, they also record, I think it's called like Calendar Business, The Making of Pretty Odd or some shit. And that is also on YouTube. I've never watched it just because like, that's a lot. The only one um, I've watched is the docu thing from Live in Chicago, which is great because they're like going around like buying stuff for the stage show. It's like when they buy the carpets and like, adorable. oh, they're so cute. I love them. Okay, so now it's... 2008, Fall Boy releases a mixtape with other Fueled by Ramen bands called Welcome to the New Administration and attempted some kind of like viral online campaign using Citizens for Our Betterment as the name. The mixtape has a couple songs that I liked. It has Cobra Starship's cover of I Kissed a Girl, which is obviously gender flip, and Fall Boy's song Catch Me If You Can was also like one of my faves. It's like mm -hmm. one of the first songs on it, so when I listened to it a little bit last night, I was like, oh yeah, I like this. It also had like Effect Kid, which would get released later on like some short EP situation they had going on. It had songs from the Cab's first album, The Academy Is's most recent album, <laughs> which at that time was like Fast Times at whatever high that it was. Tyga's on there, which is wild. Panic at the Disco's pretty odd. They have That Green Gentleman, but it's mixed into, it's like, oh, that's too slow for you. Let's mix it into a demo from a song that would show up on Vices and Virtues, which we'll talk about in a little while. Wild. And those demo lyrics are wild. And part of this mixtape is that they're like, everyone listen up, like the new Fall Boy record is coming on November 4th on election day, like, beep, 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 like, blah, blah, blah. like it's purely promo, like, yeah. for that album. And they soon realize like, releasing an album on election day is not good form um that's bad form actually um the album gets pushed back to december but fall boy is insistent with their label that the record has to come out before the end of the year like it has to come out in 2008 like we told them it's gotta do it so i think it's december 16th fall boy releases folia du their fourth album again this is the interview with neil avron who worked on a couple of their albums the interviewer asked him Pete and Patrick described the making of Foley as one big argument. So how did the vibe change from Infinity to Foley? <clears throat> yeah, there was a lot more arguing. It happened because there was a lot more telephone going on. It wasn't the guys all in a room together. Things got a little bit more phoned in. Lyrics got sent via text. And when you don't see somebody's face and how they say something, text can come across very different. And that put a lot of strain on things. Pete had a lot going on outside of studio life. So anytime he would come in and put his two cents in, it would be frustrating to me, to Patrick, and everyone who'd worked hard for hours and hours and toiled over a sound for him to go and I don't like that or I don't like that lyric I sang you three days ago that could be very frustrating and that was a big part of the blow-ups that would typically happen and then they talk about how fully wasn't well received at the time it came out and then they were like how did you feel like did you not care about that like what yeah what do you think and he said I would say I kind of expected it to a degree 
I thought I Don't Care should have been a bigger smash than it was. I thought the song was gigantic from the minute it was written. I heard stories of some weird record company miscommunication with the people who do the polling on songs. They were getting the sense that it wasn't reacting well at radio, and so they pulled their support of the single, but later found out that the polling data was off by a factor of 10 or 100, and by that point they'd already pulled it, so that song just kind of died. Jesus. I think it was, I think it was a really bad mistake that got made there. For the rest of the album, I had a gas making it with Patrick, because Patrick really got to explore in incredible ways that I don't think the genre had seen really, so I was really proud of that and all the work we did. I remember he and I went to a music store and he bought thousands of dollars of all this crazy music gear that we brought back to the studio and just started exploring. All of a sudden, a guitar wasn't just a guitar through an amplifier, it was a guitar through two amplifiers and a megaphone. <laughs> so you're really getting to experiment in ways that were refreshing and fun. So I'd say that I'm sad that it was misunderstood. I think people appreciate it a lot more now. Yes. It was a little ahead of its time and it was so different than the other albums and that there's always going to be the core fans that just want the same record over and over. It's a really great move to expand and show off Patrick's chops and other great songs. So I have fond memories of that. Which is true because I think in Pete's, like, Pete did a lineup of, like, the ranking of Fall Boy albums by Pete. And he said, like, we struggled with this album because people had gone from wanting, like, the pop punk sound that we made to, like, four on the floor dance music, which we don't make. So this was us trying to just pick, make a sound that we liked and not try to follow like a trend of any kind. Yeah. Which is kind of incredible because this song does, like this sound does take off like a couple years later. So like, it's not that this was never gonna happen. It's just, they were like too early. Yeah. <laughs> the wave was behind them and they were not there. Well, I mean, the same thing is kind of true, I would say, of Panic. Like that kind no, of yeah, folky like sound for Pretty Odd, like became oh, yeah. very popular a few Just years wait later for Mumford and Sons my friends like yeah like le legitimately yeah <laughs> Mumford and Sons sound like with more banjo like that's yeah. literally it yeah so they're both ahead of their times and they get a little bit of shit both of them do for it but I think spoiler alert these are the best two albums yeah so basically nobody likes it I love it but not a lot of people like it it gets it does get good critical reviews though like Dan Martin of NME gave the record a very positive rating called it a finding statement most stylistically hat stand but indisputably best songs yet uh, and he wrote, we're not saying it's as good as genre watermarks, American Idiot, or the Black Parade. We're just saying it comes close, which I agree. Also, it's so interesting that he mentioned the Black Parade because a lot of people don't like the Black Parade either. Which I had no idea because, again, I think that's my Kevin's best album. So, like, it's confusing to me when people don't like the things that I think are the best. Like, what's wrong with you? Wild. That's my question. Yeah, wild, wild, like, wild. I legitimately don't understand. And then there's an op-ed in All Press called In Defense of Foley Adu. It says, despite the ambition, joy, and breadth of Foley musically, the recording process was far from easy. Wentz was reportedly taking LSD during writing, thinking it would help his work, but ended up distracting him from it. No shit. The band fought throughout its creation. While it wasn't something new for them, it reached new heights. I arguably this is something new. The band intentionally cut short the recording time and for it forced a return to their early days of rushed, desperate creative process, more akin to a hardcore band. That fighting did lead to the most collaborative album after Andy Hurley approached Patrick to communicate concerns that he didn't feel appreciated or a part of the band. Him and Joe both kind of go through this. And the Joy and Foley, if there isn't enough to be found in, in its attention deficit style and musical-esque drama, is in its hidden clues. As with all Fall Boy records, you can comb it for secret meanings. The band released final single, What I Catch Johnny, one month before their final show. It's a prophetic ballad that appears to signal the curtains dropping on Fall Out Boy's first act. Pete wrote the lyrics for Patrick, and it's a simple, sad song that for the most part says quite little, which is true. Like, it doesn't say, like, this is it, it's over, but it has the callbacks to all of the people who've sang on, mm -hmm. like, prior Fall Out Boy songs with, like, William Beckett, Brennan Urie, other people that I can't other remember. Other people, Alice yeah. Costello has, like, has the lyric from one of them. I don't know, I can't remember. Yeah. But, so, like, it does, it does very clearly call back to, like, 
the good old days. And, like, the video also the video is like is that because it's just Patrick on a boat and, like, eventually, yeah. like, stuff from other videos is, like, washing up and, like, the and then, like, everybody comes, that. like, all of the, like, Fueled by Ramen people come on, like, boats and come and see yeah. him. It's, like, <laughs> extremely sad but also cool. I don't know. Like, yeah. in retrospect, seemed very sad. And it's pretty clear, like, what's happening by that. Yeah. So it's not a shock <laughs> that this eventually leads to the act. So, in the spring of 2009, Panic started recording their third album. But on July 6th of 2009, Ryan and John announced on the band's official website that they were leaving. (laughs) They were like, bye! It included the, like, classic, like, we're leaving because of creative differences. Mm -hmm. Specifically between Ryan and Brendan. On the website, they said, Though the four of us have been making music together in the past, we've creatively evolved in different directions, which has compromised what each of us wants to personally achieve. Yikes. Ouch. (laughs) Not untrue, I suppose. According to Ryan, he and Spencer had lunch in June, right before, to talk about the idea of them breaking up. He said, quote, Spencer and I had lunch and caught up for a while. And then the big question came up, like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think it might be best if we just kind of do our own thing for a while. And he said, I'm glad you said that because that's what I was going to say the same thing, which like, I, I, I don't know that Spencer said that, but okay. <laughs> go yeah, off. Yeah, I'm like, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. 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 Interesting. I see, I see. So the band was set to tour with Blink-182 in August before they broke up before they like split and following the departure of half of the fucking band brandon and spencer made the absolutely bonkers choice to say nope we're staying on the tour and the production of our third album is going to continue as previously announced wild men the day after the announcement of ryan and john leaving the associated press said that new perspectives a song off of the jennifer's body soundtrack would be released it was a soundtrack that was all fueled by ramen bands and you know what it's good or the first half of it is good it's good (laughs) yeah it was the first song recorded without ross and walker and that made it a huge fucking deal Huge deal. Yeah, and I remember the video coming out and be like, wow, it's so weird that only Brennan and Spencer are in this. Oh, but God, they both look so hot, like, in the suits, and they're, like, walking in slow-mo. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, I forgot to tell the embarrassing story about... Oh, my God, hold on. Gonna have to do a quick retreat back to the before, where I tell you about the guy who I had a crush on in middle school who said that he was going to the panic show in Myrtle Beach on their first tour that I went to, Mm -hmm. and then when Brent left, because, like, they announced Brent leaving, like, between when I got the tickets and when I went. I remember this. (laughs) <laughs> and it's so good. Sorry to make us go back, but we have to. It's too good. So, like, we got tickets. He and I have been talking about how we were going and how we are really excited. And then they announced that Brent is leaving. And to remain nameless, he was like, I mean, like, I just, like, they're going to sound so different without Brent. Like, I feel like I shouldn't go. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going. I don't give a shit. And what I think happened is that he just was lying about having tickets the whole time. And, like, he, and this was a good excuse to not go. But it's just so incredible. Because I'm like, who the fuck is Brent anyway? No one gives a shit about him. No disrespect to you, Brent, but I doubt you're listening. Who is so, this man? <laughs> Like, it's just so random to be like, um, this is a big deal and I'm, I can't go see them because Brent is gone. I'm like, no one gives a shit about him. He barely didn't play on the record. Anyway, bye. Oh my god, um, so funny. Like Mary's story. Carry on. No, very, very funny. On July 10th, the band brought back the exclamation mark. To its rightful place. And then they were like, okay, we're going to drop music at the end of the month. <laughs> Incredible. Wild. So, during the tour with Blink-182 in August, Dallin Weeks from the Brobex and Ian Crawford, formerly of The Cab, joined them to be like touring musicians with them because they the didn't guy. have I a whole fucking band. I was very happy about this actually. 
actually. Yeah, I, I was loved too. the cab. I was like, yes, I'm in. Oh, Ian Crawford. Um, he gets salty later, but it's okay. Yes, he does. Which is wild. I'm like, what did they do I to mean, you? I mean, the cab is not better than Panic, so it's very strange to me what he's trying to do here. Yeah, I'm confused. Anyway, okay, so while Panic continued on, Ryan and John formed the Young Veins. They were a retro-style 60s you know, rock group, clearly mm-hmm. influenced by the Beatles, even down to the fact that their video for Change is, like, literally almost a shot-for-shot shot homage to the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. It's in black mm-hmm. and white, they're wearing the suits, it's, like, shot like it, it's wild. Even though <laughs> Ryan was like, mm, I think the comparison to the Beatles is lazy, and I'm like, you literally did a Beatles music video. Like, if anyone is lazy, sir, in their Beatles references. Okay, so, in 2010, during an interview with the Young Veins, Ryan said that he was surprised that they had stayed together. Together, that like Brendan and Spencer stayed together and kept the name like that was yeah. like one of the things is like keeping the name yeah he said quote when we split I didn't think anyone was gonna take the name I was shocked at the time but I understand a bit more now because those guys were having a blast being in the band I couldn't expect everybody not to be having as much fun which is like also shade like I wasn't having fun so I left <laughs> so like, I wasn't having fun so it shocks me that other people were Whoa. well and the whole thing is he's like, a brat but I love him anyway like the thing is like they have fundamentally different sounds and the thing is like it was Ryan's original sound in the first place like the electronic like theatrical shit was all Ryan in the first place so like just because he decided to shift and want to do Beatles stuff now, like, fundamentally it was not what they were doing before. So, yeah. if anyone's leaving to start something new, it no shade should have been him anyway. So, truly, here we are. So, in 2010, Panic re-enters the studio. Dallin officially joins the band as the bassist. And Ian continues to play with them on tour, though refusing to fully join the band. We'll talk about it later when he leaves. Mm-hmm. Neither Dallin nor Ian perform on the third album entitled Vices and Virtues. It is also the last album that has Ryan having a writing credit because of Nearly Witches. Nearly Witches! Which is a very weird song, and I'm confused by its inclusion. It's very strange. Like, it's, like, a fine song. Maybe yeah, it's good. Fine. Whatever. Um, it just, number one, makes no sense on the album. Like, it doesn't sound like anything else on the album. And also, like, if it were me, I would not have included it as, like, a fuck you to Ryan. Like, I would have been like, fuck you, like, this is ours now, get out of It's here. also, like, not really a fuck you, because you're still giving him money. Yeah, I'm like, confused. to me, I would have been like, fuck that, like, get out of here, like, this don't is mine this. now. Goodbye. I don't need you. Yeah. It but also, like, it's very strange. thematically doesn't really fit with the album and, like, the sound no. that they're doing in that album. Whatever. Vices and Virtues was released on March 22nd, 2011. They started the Vices and Virtues tour in February of that year before the album came out, which seems wild, but okay. I know people do that, but like, it's always weird. During a Russia tour in 2012, which was like part of the like continuation of the Vices and Virtues tour, the band, including Ian and Dallin, played a few songs off a fever that caused a bit of a kerfuffle in the fandom. I genuinely don't understand the problem with this, but you can explain. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's a I panic it. song. I don't, I don't like. Know. What's the problem? Like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I I understand that argument for it, but I also understand this. What's wild to me is that the fans. So okay, they played Caramasado, which is a song that Ryan wrote as a teenager, obviously because it was on the first album, Fever. But it's a song that like is about his allegedly abusive father. Fandom was like, wow, not a great look. I don't get it. Like I legitimately don't understand. Like they're Panic at the Disco, and this is a Panic song. Like. It's not like they're being shady. Like, I don't understand why it's an issue. Like, I understand it's, like, a personal topic for Ryan, but it's on the album. Like, people listen to it. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't get it. I don't know. It's, like, uh, I, like, 
it's one of those weird things where, like, it would also be one thing, like, whatever. I think it's not a great look. And then they stopped literally doing it. I don't think they perform this song anymore. Well, they don't, they don't perform anything from Fever anymore. The, they, you barely get a full run of Sins and they cut almost everything out. Like, they, yeah. at a certain point, they just stopped touching anything on Fever because Brendan doesn't want to do it. Yeah, which, sure. But, like, it... <laughs> It's so, it's interesting to me because, like, I feel this way, but I also am like, who cares, guys? Uh, Like, I feel both ways about it. I don't know. But, like, it it almost would have been more of a thing if Ryan had said something, but, like, literally Ryan's never said anything about it, so, like, I don't know. Well, and, like, after this, like, I think in recent tours, Brendan does, like, basically a fever medley where, like, he does, like, a quick 30 seconds of, like, three or four songs from the album and then just moves on because he doesn't want to sing anymore. He doesn't even want to sing Sins anymore, but he has to. So, like, as years go on, you can tell he's, like, not interested in Fever, like, at all anymore. Like, he does not want to be doing it. Which is fair. This is also at a time where Spencer is not in a particularly good spot, but we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that later. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's no, like, checks and balances for, like, what they're doing. Like, if anyone was going to say something, it probably would have been Spencer because of, like, him being best friends with Ryan, etc. But like, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, so after they get done with the Vices and Virtues tour, like the full dealio of it, the three actual members of the band, Brendan, Spencer, and Dallin, go into the studio to start work on the fourth album, which would eventually be called Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die, which is the quote taken from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I also fucking hate it. There are a couple songs in it that I like. Like, I like the lead single, Miss Jackson. Yes. Um, There's a couple of good songs. Gospel is really good. All of the singles that they released, good. Everything good. else, don't need it. It's... Like, when I say, like, I hate it, I'm like, the album in general, but I also hate the title. I hate what it's taken from. Like, nothing about it, like, is fun. So, whatever. That album comes out in July of 2013. Ian fully leaves the band during this time. No more touring. He's like, fuck this. And he's like, I want to make real, genuine music, which is like, whew, so shady. It's not, like, to me, he's just being, like, a brat because, like, nothing he does after this he doesn't do anything after this. Is remotely wild. Like and and the cab is not on the same level as Panic. So like despite Angel with a shotgun being a full on bop, everything else I'm like, mm, I don't know. You know? Yeah, he kind of like he almost does like the thing that Ryan does after Young Veins breaks up where he like kinda makes mm-hmm. music and kinda doesn't and he's just like doing random shit and you're like, okay. Yeah. Well and for Young Veins even Ryan and John were like, yep, creative differences. We don't know what we're doing. And it's like, is Ryan just, like, the hardest person to work with? Like, what's happening here? Like... I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> just like, a guess. Not? Yes. Because, like, it's like, but you guys left to make 60s Beatles-esque music, which is what you did, and you still can't keep it together. So, like, what is happening? Well, but then, like, John ends up making, like, fully acoustic, like, folk music. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, fine. Whatever. Whatever is happening here is whatever. happening. Okay, so let's talk about Fall Out Boy. We'll come back to Fall Out Boy. So, Believers Never Die, tour part due. So this is, like, Believers Never Die is the first, like, compilation album of greatest hits. It is entitled Believers Never Die. It comes out in November of 2009. During this tour, nobody is particularly happy because of the mixed reaction, like, fan reactions to Folly. Mm -hmm. People literally boo them on stage, which is wild. Okay, so I saw them on this tour. I do not recall this. This did not happen at, like, the show in Charlotte where I saw them. Wild. I wonder if it happened in, like, big, big cities. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, Like it might have even been before. Like, I don't really know, but it didn't happen when I saw them. Because I would have been really mad. I mean, wild. Okay, so Um, Patrick. First of all, get some taste. (laughs) Okay. Rude. This album's perfect. Thanks. Okay, so Patrick said, quote, being the last act at a vaudeville show. We were rotten vegetable targets in clandestine hoodies. Incredible. Joe said that, quote, some of us were miserable on stage. Others were just drunk. So, like, 
Not a good look or a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Fall Out Boy yeah. is like, okay, you know what? We're going on indefinite hiatus mm-hmm. in late 2009. They're like, okay, we're fucking done with this. So this is a hard time to be in the Fueled by Ramen fandom. You're like, oh my god, everyone's falling apart. Well, it was like almost nobody... Even even the other bands that we're not even really talking about were like none of them were really doing yeah. anything either. Like by this time, I think the Academy is is done. Like all of the like heavy hitters of this era are done. I think My Chem isn't far behind or has already taken a break. When is that album? When does that album come out? Oh, good question. Sometime in college. Black Parade is two thousand eight, right? Yeah, I think maybe 2010, 2011. So yeah, yeah not that far behind. Not far behind. And they're, they're out. So it's like everyone is going down. Like. They're like, we're going down, down in an earlier round. Okay, so during the hiatus, each of the guys is like, okay, we're going to go do our own thing. Patrick is the only one who makes like a full solo project. He writes, mm-hmm. produced, and plays every instrument on an album that comes out called Soul Punk, which is great. Everyone is mean. You guys are just mean. Soul Punk is good. Soulpunk is so good. He gets married at some point during this. Pete is his best man. And he loses a bunch of weight that he put on during the p- depressive tail end of Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. In 2012, he writes a piece about what doing soul, like doing the soul punk tour was like. It's called We Liked You Better Fat, Confessions of a Pariah. He noted that whatever notoriety Fall Out Boy used to have prevents me from having the ability to start over from the bottom again. This whole like thing basically is him being like this is bonkers like I can't like I can't start at ground zero I go on this tour and everyone's like we liked you better when you were fat like people literally were telling him we like you better when you were fat you guys are bad people yeah bad people that's what I have to say to you bad people do you want to do your little oh yeah homeboy's life (laughs) so so in 2010 like right after the breakup happened Pete had posted a vague little thing to his a homeboy's life blog which is like embarrassing which is a tumblr he moved he's he wrote We've been seven years straight of just driving albums and tour, tour, tour. Everybody just needs to decompress. And the problem is that people want to know the amount of time that's going to take and what's going to have to happen for it to come back. It's kind of like in the Midwest when you start having snow days. The snow will melt one day. It will melt sooner rather than later. (laughs) And that, like the Rolling Stone had an article covering this post that ended with, so is this the end of Fall Out Boy or an emo blogging meltdown? Time will tell. Goddamn, so wild. Which is so funny. Clearly, they're on a break. So like, yes, this is the end. And like, What I Catch Johnny was not a suggestion. Like, it is marking the end of something. So it's just funny, in hindsight, to look back and have people being like, is this legit? We can't tell. So during the break, Pete also, he's like, I'm going to do a thing. So he forms the Black Cards with noted who? BB Rexa. Wild mm-hmm. information that I didn't know. I had no idea. I was like, shocked. Shock. They release one album, um, which is, like, not original music. It's, like, mixy stuff. It's, like, kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, some of it is new. Like, some are new lyrics. Like, they're some. not all covers, like, mixes and covers of things. Like, some of them are, like, legit new things. Like, The End of Pretend, I really like. Yeah. It's just, like, not, like, soul punk. Like, it's not, like, a whole album of new stuff. Mm-hmm. So they release that one album before BB pieces out. <laughs> She's like, bye. Like, because it was taking them too long to do more stuff after the first album came out and she was like okay i have to go make things and so this was also around the time that pete started writing gray which is a novel although it was originally pitched back during fallout boy days as being a biography about six years prior this has a lot of stuff that's definitely about the not great relationship and it's like a whole thing he also hosted best ink which is wild because his tattoos are ugly mm-hmm. andy drummed with a bunch of bands he continued to manage his label which was called fuck city he also formed 
a heavy metal band called The Damned Things with Joe and a few other people. I think they also made new music, but, like, I don't mm-hmm. care about that. So Sorry. here we are. Okay, so as soon as Fall Out Boy split slash went on hiatus, who could tell? Rumors started spinning almost immediately and out of control about breakup, reunion, like, that they had broken up, that it wasn't a hiatus, that they were doing a reunion, and, like, anything else you could possibly think that people were going to say about it were fucking, like, was said. Mm -hmm. The gang kind of fell apart and went into their own projects. They talked, but not a lot. After Patrick wrote his open letter after the Soul Punk tour, Pete reached out to him, and they did, like, an impromptu writing session in early 2012. Pete recalled convincing Patrick to come over because... Like, he was like, well, you're clearly in a dark place after this op-ed and, like, let's do stuff. He was like, quote, I know what you need. You need your band. I think it's kind of weird that we haven't seen each other at all this year. We paid for each other's houses and you don't know my kid, which is, like, sad. So the writing sessions went well, but also not well. (laughs) Like, they were like, these songs suck, but we need to do this. Like, we should be doing this. They didn't yield anything other than we should get back together. So the guys started to have a conversation about what coming back together would look like. Patrick explained, quote, we didn't want to come back just to bask in the glory days and like collect a few checks and pretend whatever and to do our best 2003 impression. (laughs) Everybody kind of gets on board with this new plan. They have all day secret meetings at their manager's apartment in New York, kind of trying to decide like what the recording plan is and like what the schedule is going to be. Joe is the last person to like come in because he was like, well, I'm not going to come back to this band if I'm not getting to write. That's just not going to happen. And so like Patrick got on a three hour phone call with him and convinced him to come back. And he was like, no, you're right. Like you should cut, like you should get to write if you're going to come back. And like, it's not Fall Out Boy without you. So like, yeah, let's do it. On February 4th, 2013, which is Megan's birthday. My birthday. (laughs) I remember specifically when this happened. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I was in my dorm room. I think I was at work in the in my college office. Anyway, the band announced a new tour and a new album, Save Rock and Roll. On their website, it read, quote, When we were kids, the only thing that got us through the most days was music. It's why we started Fall Out Boy in the first place. This isn't a reunion because we never broke up. We needed to plug back in and make some music that mattered to us. The future of Fall Out Boy starts now. Save Rock and Roll. Idiots. Fired by Daft Punk, Fall Out Boy created a series of music videos, one for each song on the album. The album was released on April 12th of 2013. This series of music videos is called The Young Blood Chronicles, and it's like mm-hmm. a story that like goes through all of the videos. Makes no sense. Doesn't make any fucking sense. At some point, everyone was like, what's in the briefcase? It's like a MacGuffin briefcase thing that's attached to Patrick's hand. And everyone's like, mm, the briefcase must have rock and roll in it. And I'm like, this is dumb. We're so dumb. Everybody was like on the fucking seat of their pants. They were just like, what the fuck is happening? Oh my god. Yeah. Wild. Uh, I mean, I know I was. I was obsessed. Well, and I remember when they released the video for My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark, it has like two chains version, like parentheses, two chains versions. Everyone was like, what's the other version going to be? Like the way that they released it was like, everyone was like, what it? Like, I don't understand. And then you just find out that that legitimately is part of the thing. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Not sure what we're doing here. (laughs) Seems like a mystery, but okay. This album is received extremely well from both fans and from critics. In fact, it was received so well that they had to bump up the date, the release day from May to April because everyone was losing their fucking shit and they were like, uh, and they didn't want want the 
yeah, and they didn't want the album to get leaked. They like released the when it came out, they released the whole thing on their website to stream. They were like, we don't want it to get leaked. We don't want people to like stream it illegally. So like, here it is. Fuck off. <laughs> so the Associated Press review said that it was quote a blast of an album, and also said quote it's also gutsy. No matter what direction Fall Out Boy went, people would be disappointed. So to release a collection of music that's a noticeable progression from their past albums but one done entirely in their own terms is brave. Save Rock and Roll might not actually, well, save rock and roll, but it certainly has brought Fall Out Boy back from the brink. Rolling Stone called the reunion, quote, a rather stunning renaissance, fair. And then Panic and 21 Pilots, hilarious to me, opened for Fall Out Boy on the Save Rock and Roll tour, which occurred in fall of 2013. During that tour, Brendan recorded A Drunk History of Fall Out Boy. Let's talk about it. Um, because as I went to research it, it got worse. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love that shit. You find it extremely cringy. I can't. Like, I can watch normal Drunk History. Like, I think it's fine. But watching Brendan, like, pour a beer on himself and, like, be so drunk that he's, like, asking if he threw up. Like, I can't. He's like, so it's a drunk. Lo- it's, it's wild. And so, he, like, I can barely read this. But um, here, it, he got, like, cringingly drunk. And did a drunk history of Fall Out Boy's, like, creation and up to the point where they were on tour. And so this is what he said about, like, the breakup and the coming back together. Fall Out Boy was like, yo, we gotta take a break. Meaning Pete was like, yo, we gotta take a break, bro. And Patrick's like, I need time for my music. And Joe's like, yo, I need time to fucking find the fucking art, dude. I gotta find some real fucking metal. And Andy's like, I'm just gonna play with some fucking metal bands. (laughs) And they were like, all right, this break has been, like, three years long, two years long, three years long, three and a half. We gotta fucking come back, man. We gotta come back strong. And so I went to look if Brennan has talked about this. And he has. And so basically this article says like, unfortunately for Brendan Urie, his worst night ever is on the internet for all to see. More than 5 million people on YouTube have watched him drunk off his ass recite the history of Fall Out Boy. And he said, from a legal standpoint, we literally couldn't put the amount I drank. It says he doesn't remember the night and for good reason. While the two bands were on the Say Rock and Roll tour in late 2013, Wentz had been badgering him for weeks to tape a drunk history. Yuri, at least tempting to be responsible, shot him down repeatedly. I'm not a drunk guy. I'm a buzz guy. I want to feel faded. That's as far as I go. I keep it to two beers at night, smoke some weed, and go to sleep. I don't want to <laughs> take it over the edge and black out and get sick. Little did he know that behind the scenes, Wentz and the Fall Out Boy road crew were scheming to get him in the hot seat. It started innocently enough with Fall Out Boy drum tech and former Cobra Starship drummer Nate Navarro barging onto the Panic tour bus with bottles of whiskey and some beer in hand. On her seemingly innocuous terms, Yuri began to vibe with his friend, but soon the crowd began to swell, handing him more shots by the minute. I woke up at noon totally drunk, totally hungover from puking for hours on the bus. I was so sick. When I walked into the venue, everyone was greeting me with applause. Fall Boys crew, our crew, they were all saying, hey buddy, how are you feeling? Making sure not to touch me or clap too loud. I watched a rough cut and was like, oh my god, I don't know who that is. I don't recognize myself. Obviously I saw my mannerisms and stuff, you can't deny it. It definitely wouldn't hold up in court if I tried to say it wasn't me. (laughs) When asked whom he'd like to narrate the drunk history of Panic, he wastes no time. It's Pete. It's fucking payback. I need it. He told me that if I won the Grammy, he would drink only out of the Grammy and then do Drunk History. That's my goal for getting a Grammy now. Having it for myself and also having the retribution of having Pete get drunk out of it. <laughs> Iconic. Amazing. Incredible. But also, yikes. Anyway. It's it's not good. Like, when I, I was like, wow, I like it even less than I did before. And I- so in January of 2015, Fall Out Boy's sixth studio album drops. American Beauty, American Psycho. Which I like. Everyone is rude. You don't really like. You're rude. It's a good album. I'm gonna let you fight that on your own. Thank you. That's all. They started... I I do like Centuries, though. I Okay, so it's, like, one of those things, and, like, we'll talk about this when we do our ranking, but, like, I love this album, but also, like, it's definitely, like, middle or bottom of 
Fall Out Boy albums. Like, I still like it. There's only one truly bad Fall Out Boy album. Anyway, they started writing this in 2014 while they were still doing promo for Save Rock and Roll. Centuries was one of the first songs that they wrote and recorded. It generally has pretty positive reviews, although I think the fans like it less in general. The Associated Press review said that, quote, Fall Out Boy are currently producing some of the most interesting music of their career, which I think is a wild statement for them to say, because, mm-hmm. okay. It also sounds like panic, like current panic, which is oh yeah, whatever. Yes. Anyway, the AV Club was similarly positive, saying, quote, American Beauty, American Psycho's playful musical vibe masks lyrics plagued by flashbulb memories of failed relationships and ill-fated romantic dalliances. Thankfully, there's no self-pity in sight on these songs, only heightened self-awareness, which I think is fair. Also in 2015, but in April, so a couple months later, Panic announced that Spencer would be leaving the band. He had taken a break earlier but now he was like officially leaving. This meant that Brendan was the only original member left. Ironically, he was also the last person to join the band, which is so funny to me. So Spencer's letter on the website is short, but concise. He said, to our fans, after 10 years of being a part of this unbelievable journey, it saddens me to say that I will be leaving Panic. There's not an easy decision to come to, but after a lot of thinking, it became clear that it's what's right for me and for the band. I love this band with all my heart, and getting to see it grow from four kids in my parents' garage to what it is now is incredible. I loved it all. But at a certain point, I realized that I wasn't able to be there for the band in the way that I wanted to be, and more importantly, the way that they needed me to be. He had some like substance abuse issues that had like started pretty early. Very early, yeah. And so like... He took a break and then left because he couldn't do it anymore. I think he's better now, question mark? Everything I've seen seems to say so. Yeah, so good for him. Okay, so despite writing on Too Rare to Live, Too Weird to Die, uh, Dallin didn't do any songwriting on the next Panic album, Death of a Bachelor, which was released in January of 2016. By the way, both of these bands love fucking releasing music in January. It's wild. In late 2017, before Pray for the Wicked, which was released in June of 2018, Dallin officially left the band. He's like, I have to go. Basically, also, there was, like, some stuff with, like, even though Brendan and Ryan are, like, the main, like, fandom couple, when Dallin popped up, he kind of, like, started being part of that. There's also, like, mm-hmm. they were both Mormons, so people were like, ooh, oh my god, cool, fun, whatever. Shipping. Yeah, so... Okay. About writing on his own, Brendan said this, although he wasn't writing on his own, but like he didn't have anybody else in the band that was writing. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, I always wrote on my own. Then later I'd bring it to the band and we discuss and compromise. Now I write just the same. Then I don't need to compromise at all. (laughs) Great. I've never been more comfortable in my own shoes and I'm wearing all kinds of different hats. Okay. In 2017, Brendan did a 10-week stint on Broadway in Kinky Boots. Which everyone was, like, very excited about. Yeah, I mean, I would be more excited if they had, I don't think they ever did, release a cast album of him doing it. No, they only have that one video of him. Which is wild. I'm like, why would you... Anyway. Yeah, but then it became a whole thing of, like, Brennan in the heels, like, dee-dee-dee, like, everyone's like, like, it was very exciting for everyone. But, like, I want an album. Okay, anyway. So High Hopes surpasses I Write Sins as Panic's most popular song and gets put into a lot of commercials, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, like Hallelujah and a bunch of other songs like from earlier albums have became like sports songs. Yeah, like, so wild. Victorious, like all of these songs became like the NBA is playing them, like dee 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 dee. So like it's surprising me that it surprises me that it took this long for something to surpass I Write Sins. Yeah. 
And it being High Hopes is like a little bit wonk wonk because I think it's like the less good single from yeah. Pray for the Wicked. Like it's good. I'm not like it's fine. It's just not like as good as everything else. So it's wild that it's the one that finally does it. Yeah. I'm sure Brendan is thrilled because oh, he yeah. wrote it on his own. Finally. You also put in a note that Dance is Not a Crime is basically just a high school musical song, which is mm-hmm. true. <laughs> it is. It is. It's true yeah. and you should say it. In 2018, Kenneth Harris, who had played guitar for Brendan for a while... He wasn't officially in the band, but, like... He was be- at least a touring member. Like, he yeah. was consistently on tour with them, so, yeah. like... So, like, he, he was more like Ian rather than Dallin. And he, well, and he played on the album, too. Like, he's definitely credited on the on some of the albums, so. Yeah, he just, like, never officially, like, joined, but, like, he's mm-hmm. definitely, like, a part of the fabric of Panic for a little while. Anyway, he gets pushed out of Panic for sexual assault allegations, um, specifically sexual assault allegations against underage, like, with underage fans. Yikes, no not good, a good look. Bad. But also, like, good job kicking him out. Okay, so Mania is Fall Out Boy's seventh album. It's the most recent. It was released again in January of 2018. It has received, I think of all the albums, the most mixed reviews, especially the Even newest. Fully? Like... Well, because I think critics like Foley, but, like, fans didn't like Foley. And, like, this was, yeah. like, mixed. Like, everyone was mixed. Like, hmm. fans are mixed and critics are mixed. Interesting. Pete said... Uh, which is fair, because that's bad. Um, Pete okay, said... Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> no. Man. I actually like all of the singles they put out for Mania. I think they're good. I've never listened to the whole thing because I don't want to like, but I, I like the singles from Mania so much more than American Beauty, American Psycho. Like, no, so much more. Incorrect. Okay. You will find out in my ranking. <laughs> Incorrect. This will be where we're different. Pete said, quote, it feels like every once in a while you've got to do a hard start that clears the cap and erases the hard drive. I think that's what Mania was, a big palate cleanse. Which I think is fair, but I'm not a fan of this album. It's fine. Do whatever. Okay. In an interview with Paper, Brendan came out as pansexual in 2018. Mm-hmm. We do have to talk about Boys, Boys, Girls off of Too Weird to... to no. Too Rare to Live, Too Weird to Die. I hate that fucking Is title. it Boys, Boys, Girls? I always thought it was Girls, Girls, Boys. Oh, it Do is Girls, Girls, Boys. I was like, have I been thinking of this, this wrong name yeah, you're wrong right. my entire life? Girls, Girls, Boys. My brain... Okay. I mean, my brain wants to say Boys, Boys, Girls because it's Brendan, but, like, that's not what the song is about. Okay, anyway. So, that song comes out. Everyone's like, bisexual anthem. And I'm like, mm. Not for me. Okay. So, this interviewer is basically like, I found the Thank You Brendan fan account on Instagram, and people are like hey, um, like, this song really helped me embrace my bisexuality and come to terms with my queerness, which is wild. Like, I legitimately do not understand it, but more power to you guys. I mean, do whatever. And they're just like, how did that happen? And he's like, I don't know. I wrote the song Girls, Girls, Boys about my first threesome when I was 15 or 16. What? Wild. I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts. Where to start? That song is about my first threesome, but they made it about coming out and accepting who you are as a person, which I thought was, like, a way better message. And I'm like, yeah, they put this onus onto it, which, like, makes way more sense, I guess, that that's not what it is. The original discussion of this song, which has always puzzled me as to why people suddenly were like, it's a bisexual anthem. It's like, he had that whole, like, it's about barsexuals and, like, women who kiss other girls for men's attention or sleep with other women because men want them to or, like, some shit like that. And I immediately wrote that song off. I was like, fuck you. This is not what you think it is. Like, this is not an empowering anthem. Like, I cannot understand why people are getting behind this bullshit. And then it, like, revives itself. And because he comes out, it still becomes a thing. And I'm like, no, he said this song is this thing. It is not that thing. Like, that thing is a bad thing. I don't want a song about that. Like, I've never once been like, 
what a bop bisexual anthem like no no yeah no no so then the interviewer is just (sighs) like you also don't buy into these old masculinity tropes which i think is like such a wild sentence for you to say he's just like no i'm married to a woman because he married this woman sarah so i don't know at some point and like he wrote this weird they're very cute but he wrote this weird song for her that like she was dating someone and then like he wrote the song for her which i don't think is a song that's particularly come and love me it's like kind of aggressive like yeah it's kind of fuck you but um wild wild choices everyone made whatever they're very cute together so he said no i'm married to a woman i'm i'm very much in love with her but i'm not opposed to a man because to me i like a person yeah i guess you could qualify me as pansexual because i really don't care a wild sentence if a person is great then a person is great i just like good people if your heart's in the right place i'm definitely attracted to men it's just people that i'm attracted to and then the person's just like so you're pansexual and he's like yeah i guess this is me coming out as pansexual <laughs> I was like okay that's what i love about that interview he's like i guess i don't know <laughs> and then they, like, they talked it's about happening. stage gay later yeah okay anyway i can't i can't like i'm looking at what he said but i remember being like hmm yeah and then like there's like they also ask about the barsexual thing like it's a wild interview anyway i'm just like okay there's no way for him to talk out of the barsexual thing for me and that's why i will never like girls girls boys is because if you sell it to me in the beginning with some bullshit like i'm not gonna get over that like i'm stuck with that forever there's you're not gonna get out of it well and like in this interview he tries to just like shift it to like well donald trump does crazy thing and i'm like why are you mentioning donald trump right now what What are you doing he's a wild man okay but like he also like talks about ryan because he talks about the stage gay and like oh okay anyway feelings okay after reputation taylor swift's what number album go ahead and tell me i know you know off the top of your head lover would be eighth i thought reputation was sixth because didn't she lose her first six albums for the masters hold on because i thought it included taylor swift fearless speak now red 1989 oh no yeah, Reputation is six, so it's okay. seventh. Okay. So after Reputation, which was her sixth album, Taylor Swift wasn't really giving any indications about her next album until on April 13th, 2019. A countdown to midnight appeared on her website, which obviously led to mass speculation about new music or like whatever. A couple of things happened, including like a mural with butterflies and like a bunch of like other things that kind of pop up. And then on April 26th, a new single drops. It is, quote, bubblegum pop, synth pop. It is a song written by Taylor, Joel Little, and Brendan of Panic at the Disco. It always makes me laugh that it, like, they have to be like, and Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco. Really funny. It has an extremely stupid lyric, which is, hey kids, spelling is fun. That's like a spoken lyric in the song that has been cut out of every single screaming version of the song and isn't included mm-hmm. on the song's release on the album, Lover. They talked about the writing of this song. Which, like, no shade to Brendan, but, like, sounds like a lot of the bad things from the song were written by him, and, um, I have some thoughts. Yeah, I do too. How that affected Taylor Swift's writing ability. Not to say that I don't think her songwriting has devolved, but I would say that it has. And also, Brendan, what is that bridge? Because apparently you wrote it, and it's bad. It's wild. The song received kind of mixed reviews, which is fair. It's praised for being by some people, for being, like, a fun, poppy escape. But then you have stuff like this Atlantic review, which said it, quote, has almost none of the elements that once made Swift interesting, but it does have a dolphin screech for a chorus. (laughs) Rude. Which is so rude, but also maybe the funniest thing I've read in a long time. As for Ryan, because whatever, John was making whatever music, and then Spencer is doing, dealing with his drug stuff, alcohol stuff. As for Ryan... He spent a lot of his time post the Young Veins breaking up because they also broke up for 
creative differences. Who was shocked? Just kind of fucking around in Los Angeles. He's featured in some music. He made some music before promptly deleting its entire existence from the face of the internet. He made like two or three songs, dropped them on SoundCloud, and then deleted them promptly. He recently started collaborating with Z Berg. A lot of people are like, are they dating? Are they not dating? No one knows for sure. Well, I feel like he's been connected to her like for a long time. Like yeah. I feel like- it's been a while. In the last, like, seven years. Like, she's been, yeah. like, in the universe around him. So, like, it doesn't shock me that people are like, were they dating before? Like, are they dating now? Like, I don't really know. They've been, like, collaborating in some way or, like, yeah, she's been in the universe for a while. Basically, since a little after he left Panic. Since, like, he came to LA and started doing stuff. Whatever. So they started a weird music collective. They went on this tour and like recently it was called the dead kids club which is the name of the collective that they started it's the dead kids club first annual fall ball it's stylized as a prom hang hate it and the cities that were chosen for the tour like the cities that they went to on tour were chosen by the fans by the fans buying a specific amount of tickets they had to buy at least $2,500 worth of tickets in the first 15 cities. So they were like, the first 15 cities that spend $2,500 on tickets, we will go to those first 15 cities in North America. And they did that. <laughs> and we're like, okay. At one of the shows in Arizona on September 30th, Ryan played Northern Downpour from Pretty Odd. This is the first time since 2011 that any member of Panic, former or current, has played the song it was retired. And Brendan playing it and like crying, crying. and like apologizing for crying. I'm like, oh my God, Can't will deal. my emotions ever be the same? Like, I'll think about that on my deathbed. Goodbye. And what's wild to me is like, Brendan's playing it crying. That's the last time it was played. And then Ryan's playing it and it's like, I don't like very flippant. I, can't, I don't like it. It's I can't get through me. it. Like I started and I was like, mm, no, thank you. I'm it's good. like, it's very kind of flippant. And like, I, I don't like it. It doesn't, it doesn't make me happy in any way. Anyway, it's a big deal. Everyone cares deeply about it, including me. And I don't like it. Okay. Most recently, Brendan of Panic at the Disco <laughs> did a cover of a song from Frozen 2 that plays during the end credits. Wild to hear in the theater, honestly. I was like, this voice sounds familiar. This is oh, Brendan Oh, I Yuri. knew by that point because they always have... I did not. I can't remember <laughs> who did Let It Go, but like they always have somebody cover yeah. one of the songs to be over the end credits. And I, by the time it came out, I knew that it was him. And I was like, weird choice. Like, I would have picked a woman, but okay. Yeah, because it's, it's one of... Uh, it's like Elsa's song. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we're going to move into like the actual fandom fandom mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. It's not us covering fandom if we don't talk about fan fiction. Always. So most of the fix lived on LiveJournal because that was like where the bands and the fans were at the time. But here is the AO3 breakdown for both of the bands because that's like actually quantifiable. Fall Out Boy has about 10,500 fix thereabouts. The most popular pairing is Pete and Patrick, which absolutely takes the cake. Completely unsurprised. They have about 6K, which, you know, actually is not that bad compared to, like, mm -hmm. like, we've been talking about fandoms where, like, there seems like there must be a lot of gen fic, and, like, yeah. this is over half of them are, like, one pairing, so you're like, okay, cool. Then the dark horse of Frank and Gerard from My Chemical Romance takes number two with 1,500. Third most popular ship is Mikey and Pete, Summer of Like Won't Die, baby! <laughs> Slightly more than 1,300. For some reason, Panic's fix are less on AO3, which I think is weird. It's weird. They're sitting at around 8,500. Over 3K of that are Brendan and Ryan. 
lower than I expected, honestly. It is lower than I expected, but, like, obviously, like, I'm not surprised that that's the most popular pairing. I am no. surprised by the number. Yes. Yeah. Like, I would imagine, like, 5,000 of those would be. Like, what yeah. else are people doing in there? I, I got some questions. I got lots of questions. I'm like, how are you writing genfic? Who cares? Pete and Patrick make up about 1,000. They're the second most popular pairing. Wild. I, that's not as surprising because it's, like, filled by ramen, whatever, yeah. like, intertwined but the third most popular pairing is frank and gerard with slightly more than a thousand fucking wild it's like mcr just doesn't leave well and my guess here is that those are secondary pairings in other fics like they show up either in like high school au's or like yeah imagine it when they're on warp tour or like you know like they're just being remixed into things yeah definitely but it is wild that that's that they're the next like there's nothing between yeah so weird. of other things like i'm kind of surprised that spencer john isn't like higher because it was pretty popular at the time yeah i'm kind of confused by that too it's also interesting to note that if you're kind of looking at the band music like the big main page on ao3 and you like command f and search for each of the bands you will also all of the main music videos also have their own tag which I think is wild. And I'm like, yeah, what? They're not, there's not a lot in either of them. There's usually like somewhere between three and 10 or like one and 10. But like, it's wild to me that people were like, we need to differentiate that this exists. <laughs> Let's talk about Throne. All right. So Throne is the heart rate of a mouse. It is probably the most popular fic in Panic fandom. Follow closely by liquid fanfic that I want to talk about. That one's not popular. It's just infamous. It's like infamous to the point that like everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Is why I would say popular is that like it's this fanfic has bled over into like the, our real world um, because of how popular it is. Like the fourth wall just came down and despite Anna Green's best efforts, like no one will rebuild it. So it's been mentioned on Twitter by Dallin, John Walker, Vicky T., Kelty, like, so many people have referenced it, and I'm like, what are we doing? So Vicky T from Cobra Starship, like, tweeted at one point and was like, the heart rate of a mouse, devil emoji. Like, someone tweeted at Dallin asking if he'd ever read it. I hate that person, by the way. You're a real piece of shit. Dallin replied, no, I hear Throne Dallin is a real a-hole, though. (laughs) (laughs) He is, and I feel like it's you, but okay. Like, there's, like, a note here that's, like, people will say that, like, Dallin is, like, portrayed sympathetically in the fic, and I'm like, no, he's not, but He is not, but okay, go off. And then, like, Kelty posted, like, I don't know if it's, like, a photo that she, like, randomly found that's, like, the last part of Throne, which is, like, on New Year's Eve, and I think she posted it, like, around New Year's Eve to, like, and I have no idea where that photo came from. I don't know if she, like, used it and didn't know what it was from. It's very weird to me. So then, in January 2018, John Walker tweeted, what is Throne? Um, because I'm assuming people kept being like throne 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 like stop talking to them them. about it oh my god okay and then in this year august of this year a fan commented on the dead end kids club like instagram i hate this so much with zberg and ryan and said like the reason z wasn't in throne is because she wrote throne which is i mean it's not true because z wasn't around in throne time that's why she's not in it but the account replied presumably z saying fuck i gotta read this shit now and i'm like oh my god please get out of here i hate it i hate it it. and it's like mostly assumed that brendan and ryan both know what it is um because people won't shut the fuck up fans have made comments during like brendan when he's on like twitch and shit being like throw him throw him throw him but he doesn't acknowledge them the way that he has talked about the milk fic which is like which like arguably people would argue he referenced in a music video yeah and i don't like that that's all so like anna green the author of throne has been like guys please stop like bringing it up to people and she said this not just about throne but also just like thick in general is like 
keep the fourth wall. It keeps everyone happy. Like, there's no reason to be referencing fanfic to people that it's about. Like, please don't do that. Don't send links. Don't do that. Like, please don't do that. Which leads me to my TED talk, which is real person shipping isn't bad so long as you're not an asshole about it. True. Followed closely by my TED talk number two, which is bring back the fourth wall, please, for the love of God. <laughs> I understand why people don't like real person shipping. I don't have a problem with it. Corners, one of the cornerstones of my, my fandom experience. However, I would never in a million years bring it up to a person who is actually a subject of real person shipping, nor would I post it anywhere where I thought they might see it. Like if I ever, God forbid, became famous, I would delete all my shit so fast, you would never see me again online. All <laughs> mailed accounts, gone. You would never see that shit again. Cause like, there's no reason, like why? It doesn't do anything good for me to bring up fanfic to a person who's famous, especially not a fanfic about them. That brings me no joy. And also it just makes no. them uncomfortable and think I'm a weirdo. So there's no winning. There's no reason to do it. No, no reason. reason at all. Let us all enjoy Throne in our quiet corners of the internet and leave the famous people alone. I always wonder, like, do you think that people who, like, bring up stuff, especially at, like, conventions, do, are they just expecting the actors to be like, yeah, and actually we're dating in real life? Or, like, like what know. do they and think is, the is gonna happen? They're gonna say something negative about it. Like, it's not gonna be a good look yeah. for anyone. This is the thing. I mean, obviously this came up with Supernatural a lot. It's come up with, like, Star Trek with Zachary Quinto. like And Supergirl. There was a whole yeah, kerfuffle. Yeah, it's come up. And, like, thing is... While I think that queer fans should be heard and like there is a corner of the internet that's for us to talk about this kind of thing, it's not where the famous people can see us because you're either going to get a very enthusiastic response, rarely, mm -hmm. or you're going get to a, get, a, get a middling to bad response most of the time. And yeah. in that case, I would rather just not ask the question. Yeah, I you don't need to assume ask. that it's not going to go well. So there's no reason... <laughs> bring it up especially when you're not actually being represented by the thing the thing i don't get about supernatural is like why would you tell them that you feel so represented by them when they're not in fact representing you like i'm sorry i love you i understand headcanoning i understand wanting to read a character as more like you than they really are but when they've explicitly told you that's not what they're doing you need to put it down and be like okay they have told me this is not representing me i can headcanon to my heart's content but me bringing it up probably is not gonna bode well for anybody yeah. Like, we've had this discussion before, but, like, if they're telling you, whether they're queer baiting you or not, if they're telling you they're not actually going to give you queer content, that's your responsibility to understand. Like, I was just reading about Stephen Moffat talking about the Sherlock thing that he's putting out, and he's talking about, apparently there's a scene where, like, what is he doing? Oh, it's Dracula. Yeah. The Dracula miniseries he's making, and he's, like, people are like, oh, maybe, like, Dracula slept with Jonathan in one of the episodes because he, like, goes home with him or something, and he's like, he's not by curious or bisexual he's by homicidal he's killing people he's not sleeping with them and i'm like we should all take that as the reality that it is and yeah. stop expecting him to do anything less than whatever the fuck dumb shit he's doing like Here's stop <laughs> expecting them to be better than they are when they tell you that they're pieces of shit believe them yeah this is th this also happened to me with dracula is that like people were like "Ooh, dracula like it's a queer new dracula series and then they were like from the creators of sherlock and i was like nope it's not gay i'm it's just gonna gay. tell you right it's now not. it's not I gay i swear to god i promise you it's not it's not and i'm like it doesn't matter that mark gatiss is here and he is openly queer because he doesn't care and Stephen moffat cares more about not having gay stuff than yeah. mark gatiss could ever care about putting gay stuff in i will die on this hill 
if people tell you that they're pieces of shit and aren't doing what they think, what they're acting like they're doing by queer baiting, believe them and stop watching their dumb shit. Let's talk about us for a second. We yes. very famously became friends over a biphobic <laughs> mess of an event in college. But I would say that we remained friends and became closer friends because of our love of fandom and fanfic in particular. You used to call me and sing our favorite panic song whenever you had to drive across town when you were at <laughs> home. And then we used to swap fix all the time. You brought Throne into my life and I brought you the fighting fic. Yeah. And to out myself further, this was I had just gotten back into fanfic like not long before this because... I had my, like, Christian years in high school for a while, and then I was like, actually, this shit sucks. So I was, like, just getting, I had my second bisexual awakening, right? And so now I'm like, oh my god, wow, what have I missed? And, like, I had just gotten back into fanfic and fandom and, like, the whole sitch. So I have no idea how I found Throne by myself. Like, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it was. I don't know how I found it. Like, I have no memory of this place. Like, what? where did it come from? This is all still being kind of on LiveJournal. Because, like, all of it, Throne it was isn't on, on AO3. Journal at the time because it wasn't posted on AO3 for, mm-hmm. like, a while. Well, I still don't think it's posted in its entirety. It is because I've downloaded it. Oh, I thought you had it. Never mind. Anyway. I don't have it in PDF form anymore because that computer is lost to the oh. ether of my life. <laughs> But you can download it, like, full EPUB version from AO3, and that's how I have them on my phone. Gotcha. We also used to drive with our friend Cassie to Tennessee to go mm-hmm. to the Disney store. Uh, we're and perfect. other random antics. Like, I think we yeah. would just walk around the mall. Yeah, but we went to the mall specifically because they had a Disney store, because we're us. And we would play this fun game, usually coming back, which was, can you give the exact title of the Fall Out Boy song or Panic song? I was extremely bad at it, and you were very good at it. <laughs> which I can't really explain, other than that when I would first get an album from them, I would read through the booklet obsessively. Like, I would listen, See, like, I never reading did the that. lyrics. And, like, <laughs> the thing that people joke about Patrick's, like, being unable to understand him is like the reason I always could is because I the first thing I would do is I would like pull up the lyrics when I'm listening to it for the first time and be like dee, 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 like reading the lyrics to every song as I'm listening so that I know what he's saying like beep 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 like so no. that's I, that is probably how it all got locked in is because I always read through booklets when I listen to a CD for the first time I don't do that <laughs> which is what annoyed me about Save Rock and Roll because it didn't have a booklet with lyrics in it Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, the thing that I would always do, like, I'm good at knowing, like, the sound of the song that comes next because I would listen to the whole album front Mm -hmm. to back, but I would never look at anything. So I was like, I don't know what the song is called, but I know it comes (laughs) after the song that goes da-da-da-da, like... (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think if you tried to test me now, I could probably do most of From Under the Cork Tree, probably most of Take This to Your Grave, Infinity on High, probably Foley, and then... Those are all the albums. (laughs) pretty odd no i don't know any of their new shit is well the thing. Like, no know... but they they don't have weird long titles anymore no but i can't even name them now <laughs> like <laughs> okay, i don't listen to it enough <laughs> i couldn't name songs from american beauty american psycho other than the two that i know like with herman I... and centuries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i wouldn't know any of those other songs if you played okay. them for me i would jetpack blues is so them. good everyone's just rude do you want to rank our albums baby i have to pull up a list because i feel like I'm i do too them. <laughs> I pulled them both up already. <laughs> I was like, because Fall Out Boy has seven studio albums That's and true. Panic has six. Wild. Brendan Yuri popped out so many fucking albums. Okay, I'll do mine first. Okay. So, hmm, should we start at the top or the bottom, do you think? Start at the bottom, though that does make it harder for me to process with my brain. <laughs> Fair. Okay, so bottom worst Panic of the Disco album by far to me is Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die fucking sucks like a couple of songs but overall hate Mm -hmm. it next i would say 
my fifth favorite is probably uh, probably pray for the wicked i think okay pray for the wicked and death of the death of a bachelor that's gonna be my five and my four and my five are like basically the same album to me like they sound like they could be interchanged and i like them both but like they just kind of are about the same and then i would say i mean like my teen heart wants to say fever has got to be number two but i think i might like vices more Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. Yeah, so I think it's, so I think my total list is too, too weird to live, too rare to die, Pray for the Wicked, Death of a Bachelor, Fever You Can't Sweat Out, Vices and Virtues, pretty odd. My list is the same, except I would swap Death of a Bachelor and Pray for the Wicked, because I don't care about Death of a Bachelor that much. Fair. But yes, otherwise that's mine. Pretty okay. Odd is good. You guys are just dumb. Pretty Odd Go is back the and best. listen to it. And just for funsies, my favorite Panic song is, you guessed it, Folkin' Around, followed mine closely too. by Northern Downpour, followed closely by When... <laughs> you know, Let me just list when the, the day met the night is number three so okay, everything from pretty odd is my favorite thank you so much it's true it's oh my god yeah okay follow boys harder because we're also going to include soul punk yes so actually do you want me to go albums. first yeah go you first go? you can go first okay. you're gonna be sad i don't um, care. you fucking rude I'm you are sorry. rude bitch okay so <laughs> my least favorite is american beauty american psycho trash i hate you okay pete wentz calm down listen <laughs> I just don't like it. Mania is next. I, I really do like Last of the Real Ones. Like, that's a song that I really do like, which is probably because it stands out to me why I like that album more than I like American Beauty, American Psycho. Then, ooh, this is hard. Take This to Your Grave? Interesting. <laughs> then, From Under the Cork Tree, Soul Punk, Infinity on High. You didn't say Save Rock and Roll. Oh, shit. Sorry. No, <laughs> I lost it. Take This to Your Grave, Save Rock and Roll, From Under the Cork Tree, Soul Punk, Infinity on High, fully. Interesting. Okay. I think mine is probably Mania is my least favorite, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I would probably say American Beauty, American Psycho. I like that album quite a bit, but like it, again, it sounds like the other Panic albums that were interchangeable to me as well. Like they all, mm-hmm. all three of those albums have similar sounds, which is wild. And then I would probably say, oh God. This is where it gets hard. Yeah, like, this is where it gets really hard. I are probably, all kind of in the middle? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I would probably say From Under the Cork Tree is my next one and then soul punk take this to your grave infinity on high folly did you have save rock and roll in there was i not listening (laughs) i don't know (laughs) can we both forget it (laughs) probably okay so mania american beauty american psycho from under the cork tree save rock and roll i think i think i like soul punk no soul punk and then save rock and roll I think. Okay. And then Take This to Your Grave, Infinity on High, and Fully Age. Why the Take This to Your Grave is so high on your list? I love Take This to Your Grave. I like it a lot. There's just stuff I like way more on everything else. No. I I would rather listen to Take This to Your Grave than from under the from than any song from Under the Cork Tree, even mm. the ones that I love. I love Take This to Your Grave. Okay. There you go. There you go. That's um, it. I was trying to think of like if I had to pick a favorite song from Fall Out Boy, what would it be? Honestly, I think it's Head First Slide into Cooperstown on a bad bet which is a very random choice, but I'm obsessed with that song. I could listen to it forever. My favorite Fall Out Boy song is Coffee's for Closers. Oh, it's so good. I yes. love that song. There are so many songs from Foley that I'm like, incredible. But then Infinity on High, I love Golden so yes. much. Like, chain me to a tree, force me to listen to Golden for the rest of my life. Happy. It's so good. Good to go. I'm thrilled. Let's do it. As a like fun thing, I want to say from Soul Punk, my favorite song was always Run Dry, which is like weird and long. It's the like eight and a half minute song mm-hmm. in like the middle of the album that like changes songs halfway through where it becomes a completely different weird song oh yeah yeah yeah. it is weird but i really like that song in general but it's also like about when patrick was like kind of an alcoholic when he was like sad and i'm mm-hmm. like i love patrick i also like the re like not it's not a remix but the 
the like the city with Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, I love that version. Spotlight is like so oh, good. It's really good. It's my favorite. This album is so good. Fuck you guys. It's good. You guys are mean. Thank you very much. That's it on Bandom and that's it on Fandom. That's all, folks. That's the end of the show. Oh my god. Wild. We are probably going to do an end of the year wrap up at in some January, point. but that will be the last you hear from us for a little while at least. Seeable future. Yeah, for at least a little while. But I mean, I think that this is a good write out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of formative media being discussed. So we hope you guys enjoyed this show as a whole. We mm-hmm. were excited and happy to make it, even if it was also very stressful. Wow. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We aren't going to have office hours anymore, but you can still find us on Twitter. Yeah, come and talk to us but about anything but The Walking Dead. Thank you so much. And uh, you can even come and talk to us about our TED Talk about real people fic. Just don't yeah. fucking tag anybody who was in any of them. Thanks. Extremely true, yes. I concur. Am I going to go read probably some random fanfic? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I have physical copies of Throne, and that's who I am. Can't wait until Anna Green publishes the rewrite of that. Oh my god, I'm gonna die. I so desperately am like, do you want an editor for that? Because I would happily do that for free. Like, you just call me up. I'm happy to help. I can't wait to see, like, how she changes it. Because, like, she's talked about it on Twitter. She's, like, doing rewrites and stuff. And she's like, wow, I can't believe. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I gotta, like, not only do I have to change it because, like, real person mm-hmm. fic. But also, like, some of the shit is either doesn't make sense or, like, yeah is like so of the time and like of my time when i was writing yeah, it if you take it out of the dynamics of like the understood dynamics of the band as they were yeah. as she was writing it's a totally different situation. yeah exactly that's it that's it on fandom we'll that's talk to you guys at some point come talk to us on twitter mm-hmm. the podcast is no more so don't worry about that i mean you can still talk to us on the podcast It'll at syndicated there, cast but- you know but you can talk to us specifically on twitter i'm at emily mazer and i'm at mountains march uh it's been real it's been fun thanks for all the fish i'm tired What a catch What a catch